John Wick Chapter 4 is the most ambitious film in the series. There's massive set pieces in multiple major cities, an upgraded visual style, and a downright unrelenting final hour to what might just be the last mainline entry in the saga. Welcome everyone to the Collector's Cut. I am Peter and joining me as always is David. Man has to look his best when he gets married or buried. Very good. This is a movie podcast. We work through franchises and subgenres of movies. Of course, we are capping off John Wick season with the new release, John Wick Chapter 4. Woo! Yep. Is this the first new release we've done? Is this the first? This is. Yeah, yeah. this is the first time we've actually went to the movies to go see something. I come mm. and talk about it on the Collider's Cut. So, uh, exciting times. Uh, so we'll start spoiler-free, of course, as we always do. Of course, it is a sequel, so you can expect there might still be spoilers for the previous movies that will come up in the first section. Yep. But we'll warn mm. you before we go into any spoilers for part four. And, uh, yeah, we'll get into it. So, uh, John Wick Chapter 3 uh, basically ended with... John Hurt betrayed and determined to take down the table, uh, aligning himself with the Bowery King, played by Lawrence Fishburne, and uh, that's kind of where we left off uh, with with part three, and we're here yep. with part four. So uh, we'll get to it. I mean, honestly, I, I feel like usually I'll do a little plot summary, but it's kind of weird with sometimes with sequels because it's like, well, it's, yeah, you know, it's it's continuing from where the last one left off. I feel weird even giving you I much will... of a description. I will say, though, uh, without giving too much away, this movie, I felt for the first 15 minutes, they were just dealing with the fact of we don't like where we left the cliffhanger off last movie, and we're just going to completely change it up. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of that. We'll get we'll get into it. But, yeah. but we'll go through the details later. I think we'll just start off uh, with talking about uh, our general feelings and mm-hmm. and whatnot uh, we'll talk about this more later because a lot of this will pertain to just sort of how this movie uh concludes and where this yes. franchise is going next but i will just point out here at the start that for a while we've been saying that four and five were coming and like yeah. five was a confirmed thing four and five were talked about there's a reason why i had that in my head but at some point along the way they combined four and five into just four um mm-hmm. so i just i'm putting that out there to- because I, I yeah. realized that we said that a lot, but we'd already recorded all the reviews before anyone had seen them and like corrected in the comments. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but obviously, Ballerina is a thing, though. The spinoff Ballerina is a thing. Yes. There may be more spinoffs based on this movie, to be honest. Boy, howdy. This movie was like, hey, we have an entire ensemble, yeah, and we... we have the potential to spin <laughs> any of them off. We may end up with a whole shared Wick universe, baby. I want there to be, if they end up doing that, I want just one of those spin-off movies to eventually say, the global population has gone down to 7 billion because so many people have died. <laughs> 7, that's, that's optimistic. Huh? Yeah. 5 billion, more like, by the time they're all done. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, we'll just, yeah, David, what did you think? What's your general feeling on John Wick Chapter 4? General feeling. I think that... This movie does a solid job of continuing the franchise. I think that it is, in a lot of places, more stylistic than anything that's come before it. They take a lot of chances on some big visual imagery. But there are also points where it's just, nah, we're just going to do crazy things. Just insane things that... 
I think that over the last three reviews, what we said the most is these movies keep on adapting to different environments. And that's no different in this movie. But this one, I think, also mixes it up in that a lot of the new interesting stuff comes from creative weaponry as well. They're introducing a lot of new weapons. So overall, just keep it flat. I do think that this is probably not the best Wick movie. I would still probably give that to part two, but I think that it is probably, I'd say, better than the original and definitely better than three. Okay, okay. Um, I think I'd probably end up with it in the same place in that I'd say it's probably definitely better than three, maybe better than one, but I'd still say two is better. I think two is better Mm -hmm. paced. This movie... Uh, you know, widely documented before everyone knew before going to see it, it was two hours and forty something minutes or whatever it is. Yeah, uh, and you do feel it at points. Like, it is a long movie, um, mm. and it is interesting that the the biggest thing I hated about th- uh, three, they tried to just kind of like get rid of, like right at the start of the movie as quickly as humanly possible. Let's just deal with it. We'll we'll get into other things. This movie. I felt like there were there were two or three things that we really didn't like in three, and not only did this movie immediately erase them, but then also redid them better. Yeah, I I liked the movie quite a bit. I I will say though, it's not without faults. There are some things mm-hmm. that I didn't like. Uh, there's one or two characters that I didn't like, but okay. By and large, I liked what it was doing. I liked the big uh, climax. I liked most of the set pieces quite a bit two or three of them in particular really stand out as maybe being the best set pieces of the entire franchise oh, up yeah. until this point um i agree that almost instantly it felt like like i don't know maybe the director's leveled up or something but he wanted to do more <laughs> just more cinematic looking things a lot more like shots against sunsets and sunrises and just really mm. kind of moody stuff that almost like it's kind of like a, a slight negative in the sense that it feels like it's almost not in the same world as the first movie at this point because it just looks yeah. so visually different. But uh can't deny it, it looked pretty a lot of the time oh, yeah. and is visually quite uh, appealing and whatnot. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's good. Uh, even the music as well, I felt like they did a lot of things where they brought back the John Wick theme and it was sprinkled throughout, but they would do like different versions of it. There's one that's like very Western inspired. There's one that's oh, yeah. more samurai inspired. Uh so there's a lot of that stuff going on as well. So it felt like mm-hmm. there was a lot of creative flexing of muscles in this. Yeah, I honestly, I think that this movie is probably the biggest send up to sort of like the 60s, 70s era of action films because there is a whole feeling of Western in it. There's this whole feeling of like samurai and ninja stuff. And then not to spoil too much into it, but the entire, I would say, final set piece pretty much is just the warriors just straight up exactly the warriors i've seen the warriors i don't remember it well enough to even know that's fair it was <laughs> this the, comparison is but yeah the, the thing from the warriors was the um trying to make their way from point a to point b and there's literally oh, the sure, exact same okay. thing of the radio operator is calling out the location of the group the entire time Okay, okay, yeah, I don't remember that, but yeah, yeah. it's a gauntlet, effectively. There's a gauntlet yeah. to go through, mm-hmm. uh, which is not surprising. And to be honest, that's when I enjoy John Wick at its most, is when it's the simplest, and it's, you know, yes. sometimes it gets a bit too mired in its uh, mythology, and I, I get a little bogged down in some of the, the, the you know, because at this point, you're four movies deep, 
you've added so much onto your mythology mm-hmm. and the rules and things but when it's simple when it's like john has to get from point a to point b and they're going to try and stop him and he mm. just has to go through it and it leads to a variety of locations and a variety of like difficult challenges for him to face with lots of killing and murder then that's when it's it's at its most effective so unsurprisingly yeah. the last like 40 minutes of this movie are the best 40 minutes of the movie i would say oh yeah uh and it's I, not even a question in my mind that they're the best 40 minutes or so i mean i when i was i got out of the theater and i just wanted to write down my notes on like okay what are the basic plot beats i got pretty tripped up in the middle in terms of okay which of these happened first which of these was whatever but then as soon as it hit that last extended set piece it was like nope i know exactly the order of events here because it was so vividly well done and the whole way through it just followed a natural progression yeah so no really good uh like i said there is one or two characters that i don't like too much and one character that i do think is a bit over the top is the main villain uh i'm not so sure i like bill Starsgard's performance as the villain uh he's doing this really over the top french accent and you know he's he's very eccentric he's very cartoony in a lot of ways uh there's another villain character that i just i hated i hated the entire time he was on screen who was that uh uh, killer is <laughs> oh yeah right? that's fair despise despise that character uh so th- th- those you know are probably my biggest problems uh, and then i've got one kind of like overall story critique um okay that we'll get into more in spoilers but i'll just say what the start of the movie sort of and even the end of the last movie is kind of saying what the movie's going to be about they kind of just sort of transition away from it and it's not really about that anymore yeah uh especially when you get towards the end i'm like wait a minute this is how they're going to wrap up all this story but this isn't really doing anything in the realm of what was teased either at the end of the last movie or even the the start of this one where it was very much clear that there was kind of a a call to action a couple of times early on in this movie of like Mm -hmm. you gotta go do this thing and then at some point along the way it just became not about that and it became about other things so there is a slight sort of switcheroo in like the the main the goal of the movie so i i honestly think that a big problem that this movie runs into in terms of its actual beats its story pacing is that it is actually trying to set up a larger spin-off i feel yes we know ballerine is a thing but as we said it feels like any of these characters can be spun off into their own separate thing yeah and there's probably i would say four or five plot threads from early in the movie that are essentially dropped because they're like, well, if this care if you want to see it continued, this character will be mm. in theaters in 2026. Yeah, there was one other character that I f- that felt fairly tacked on to me, um, mm. and I, I, think I know which one. I, I have a bit of a bias against this one actually, just because the actor playing the character is someone who I already didn't like in something else. So as soon as I saw him, I kind of had a bit of a <laughs> oh him. Yeah, uh, so yeah, the actor I'm talking about, or the character I'm talking about is Nobody, right? Which I thought was a weird name to use because okay. there was a knockoff of John Wick starring Bob Odenkirk called Nobody that came out like last year or two years ago. Yeah. And I thought it was weird to use. Maybe they didn't know when they wrote it, but I just, it felt like weird. Nah, that would have been pre-pandemic, wouldn't it have been? I thought Probably. Nobody came out a while ago. Yeah, maybe it may have been a while ago. I don't know, time is weird was, in the last couple of years. It's yeah, all sort of blended it was 2021. Together. Yeah, so okay. it wasn't pre-pandemic, but definitely pre-production, I think. That's fair, that's fair. 
Um, but anyway, so he, the actor, he was in a show called Winona Earp, which is based on a, a comic book, an IDW comic book. Uh, okay. And it's basically, it's like the great granddaughter in present day of Wyatt Earp uh, fighting like monsters and shit. Fun idea <laughs> for a story, fun idea for a show. Uh, his character, and it's not actually the actor's fault, but the character was just so goddamn, like, it was like a charisma vacuum. Everyone else was, <laughs> everyone else wasn't necessarily the best actor in the world, but they were all seemed to be having fun with their roles. And he just felt like he was just this miserable prick in the middle of all of it um okay yeah not that he's bad in this per se but i i, I feel like, like i feel like his I, character though you could probably just remove his entire character from the story and it really wouldn't affect anything see this is where i'm i'm actually surprised that you didn't like this character because while yes i don't think they are really that critical to the story mm. i felt that this is the closest we got over all four movies to that anti-john wick that you were looking for the one who's similar in all these ways and yet is still different in all the other ways yeah well i was looking for that in a villain and i think this movie did give me that but i don't think it gave me a villain it gave me in a sympathetic character gave me in kane who is an equal to john wick and Mm -hmm. is a much more interesting character i think donnie yen is really good in the movie Mm -hmm. and uh you know they do some neat things with him do do I really believe that someone who's blind could be this effective in this type of combat? I'm not so sure I do, but that's okay. It's a movie. I can roll with it, right? That's the if fun. We're just, if we're just going to talk about this character at this part, can we just... Could I, they named the blind character Kane. Yes. Well, I, 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 I assumed that was like an intentional like alias. I'm sure, I'm sure in some regard, yes, but it just... It, as soon as they said that the blind guy walking around with the cane is named Kane, I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure, why not? Yeah, no, I, I thought, no, I thought he was, he was good. He added that. No, he was great. It was an interesting layer because he wasn't actually, he's not actually a villain. He's just kind of like forced into being the antagonist to John Wick because the table have got power and they've got things over him, and that's you know. So that that was an interesting thing. It was like, okay, you've given me his equal, but he's not an equal who's someone I hate. He's an equal who I actually kind of feel bad for and what to sympathize yeah. with and that that was that was an interesting dynamic he also was the only constant source of comedy beats throughout this movie he was not, I, I, he wasn't a comedic character but he was so laughable in his actions yeah you know he's, he's got a couple of uh witty moments there's a moment towards the end that actually got the biggest laugh of the whole movie in my theater which oh, isn't yeah. really a comedy line per se, but it's it's satisfying to hear. Uh, I won't obviously we won't spoil it until we get into things, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah, and I think you know as far as setting up the larger world goes, you could say okay, Kane uh, feels like something that could be set up for the future. Um, mm. Nobody feels like someone is set up for the future. You've got uh, the sort of the the the, the Japanese daughter mm. who feels like she could in her own movie at some if point if the japanese daughter was not approached by producers during filming and told hey sign this contract for three more films just in case i i would be shocked <laughs> well she's like a, a pop star or something i think the actress, oh, that's fine but yeah. i i guarantee you without this movie played her throughout she is and, already locked in if they so choose and not even like a a character that you'd follow per se but i think even the casting of clancy brown who's in this is someone who represents like the interests of the table yeah i feel like you cast clancy brown because you're hoping to use him again in other movies set in the same universe he can be this figure that pops in he can be 
not not be your literal Nick Fury, but he can be your Samuel mm-hmm. Jackson guy who kind of pops in and out. And yeah, I moves. think it was. I think it might have been the thing where they were hoping that Ian McShane would take that role, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, everything takes place around the Continental, and therefore Ian McShane is kind of around. But then, I don't think that they thought Ian McShane would be able to do that. Maybe he'd be busy with other things. But Clancy Brown's the kind of guy like, no, nah, he'll make time to just show up, be around. <laughs> hey, Clancy Brown likes a paycheck, all right? He's, oh, uh, yeah. No, yeah, he's fantastic. Fine. And I, I I, adored his character in this movie. I will say that over the past, I think it's two, three movies now, you know, last movie we had the adjudicator and we had the elder and all that stuff. And it's like, all right, we're, out, we're throwing out of too many capital letter roles here. Yeah. Of the blanks. This movie, they introduced Clancy Brown's character of the Harbinger within the first, I gotta say, at least five minutes. Oh yeah, it was, right, the, the, it was right near the start. Yeah, and I said I immediately rolled my eyes. I'm like, here we go, more the roles. But I, as soon as he actually came out and did his bit, I enjoyed him immensely. Yeah, I was happy the adjudicator wasn't a, like a thing again. It's weird because the Harbinger is pretty much the exact same thing that adjudicator was. Yeah. I guess they just listen to the audience response and it's like, yeah, we don't particularly want that. Yeah, I mean, he, he was more interesting. I don't want to say why, because obviously, spoiler details, mm-hmm. but th- th- there was some interesting details that make him just have a little bit more layers, I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously, we have mostly a great cast. There's one or two roles that I feel a little bit iffy about, but mm-hmm. for the most part, I was having fun uh, with, with, the, with the actors. And like I say, cinematography's pretty great, music's great, uh, particularly all of this all comes together and all my favorite set pieces in the last 45 minutes or so. Excellent yep. stuff. Um, and of course, you know, this is, isn't necessarily the last John Wick either. Like, uh, just uh, like yesterday or the day before, Lionsgate and the director of talks, yeah, it's not necessary. You know, we might do John Wick 5. That might be a thing that happens mm-hmm. uh, because we're not we're not going to say never and we're not, you know, like the, there's pl- ways sorry. to Are go. Are you asking us to turn down money? I don't understand what. So you know, um, while five's not this done deal like I was saying a few episodes ago, at least it's still very much on the table. And we'll talk about where they could go with five, obviously, once we've done the spoilers and talked about where this this goes. So now, I guess let me ask you this: Do you feel that this movie was obviously two movies stitched together, or do you think it all flowed as one movie? On its um. Own? I mean, I kind of agree that the first little chunk feels a bit separate. I think, mm. and maybe that shift in what the focus of the movie is is also kind of a, a symptom of like it changing from two movies to one. Because when I was thinking about it as I was watching it, knowing this in my head, is I was sort of thinking, okay, I could sort of see maybe like why you'd want to have two movies where you introduce Kane in one movie and you have him build up and then... You know, so, so it's not just one movie with him. You get, like, two movies to actually really flesh him out. Right. It may be similar with some of the other characters. But I can maybe see there's some symptoms of just where it does feel like it shifts focus, where maybe some ideas for what the ending truly represents would have been set up better if they had time to do it in two movies. That said, yeah. though, like, they made this choice for a reason, and perhaps it was ultimately the right choice. Maybe it was, just, you know, a slightly... You know, another, another go around to the script just to tighten up yeah. maybe the transition to one movie, particularly in the first to mid, first half of the movie to the middle yeah. sort of section. If if I had to pause it on my side, I think, and we'll get into spoilers as to why later, but I think that the fourth movie originally, as we speculated in 
uh, third movie stuff was more heavily focused on Bowery King and being able to do that and probably set in Japan for a lot of it. Uh, and I think that the primary antagonist was actually going to be the tracker character, nobody. Okay, yeah. And maybe we get hints of Kane and whatnot just to build him up, but I don't think that would have been a thing until the fifth movie. Do you think movie nobody because... would have been back for the fifth movie as well, though, still? I mean, it depends on where the character yeah. arc goes. If I if he was an antagonist, I mean, how many antagonists have survived a John Wick movie? True, true. I... Well, I've got other thoughts, but I don't want to say them until spoilers. So you think, because obviously the Jap- J- J- the Japan stuff is largely the big first act set piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're thinking that originally that would have, not necessarily that exact set piece, but like the final set piece of the original fourth movie would have been the big showdown in Japan, effectively. I would say so. I think that, I mean, we, again, it's hard to explain without getting too much into spoilers, but the build up of the marquee as a necessary force against john wick because the marquee only exists by the table saying all right we're just going to put emergency powers into yeah, the, palpatine here and the marquee just to explain this for people is the villain mm-hmm. of the movie that's the, that's yes. bill skarsgård's character mm-hmm. and i will say yeah like on that subject i do, I do feel like his introduction is a little hasty like yeah. Not not so much the way it's filmed. The way it's filmed is very much typical villain, like, you know, Ian McShane goes up in the elevator and he's like he's back to him, he's looking out the window at the skyline, and it's you know, it's the it's the mm. very cinematic. Like the actual build up in the scenes is all very natural and smooth. But in terms of like what who exactly Marky is and why he's in this position, it did feel kind of abrupt and it did feel like they had to kinda of explain some of it in retrospect as the movie went on. Just to sort yeah. of like solidify who it was, because I actually didn't get that Marquis was even a, like someone's name at first. I thought Marquis was another role, like like Harbinger. I think it is because it's you know there's a the Marquis day whatever's those are. I think it's a role. I'm pretty sure you okay. are assigned the role of Marquis, and he just happened to be the Marquis of whatever. Okay, okay. It's much in the same way that the character who went by nobody is credited here as Tracker. That's yeah. not his name, but in fact, actually on the subject. Uh, of like you saying oh we didn't like the cliffhanger endings we left in three so we're going to tidy them up as quickly as possible there was yeah. one element of that that did kind of bug me uh, which we'll talk about in spoilers but there was one mm-hmm. that i just kind of felt like they really brushed over as yeah. if it never, never really happened and it it just kind of felt like yeah we kind of re- either we regret making that choice when we wrote the third movie or mm-hmm. whatever but yeah but I, our, if i if I had to guess, I would say back when it was two movies, I think that with without saying too much about it, the first scene, the first big scene with uh, Winston and Sharon, yeah, I think that would have ended the fourth movie. You think that would have been near the end, yeah. I can yeah. see that. I, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's a, it is interesting to think that they basically decided that all the, the story they set up in three isn't necessarily something they wanted to do. They just wanted to go straight to what the fifth movie effectively was planned to be at that point. Yeah. Um, and I think at this point we can stop talking about the theoretical fourth and fifth movies and just because now mm-hmm. this is the four we have. This is the one that get made, and someday yeah. there might be an actual fifth that you know does something else, and we we can go mm-hmm. into it. But um, it it was interesting to think about on this first viewing of like this was originally going to be maybe two movies and i don't even know how far they got like i don't know if it was just like oh there was a couple of scripts for four and five and then it changed to just one like i don't know if they got even to pre-production before yeah 
I don't know. They, they, they merged them. So, like, I, I, you know, it's it's hard to say these things. It is interesting to think about, though. So, yeah, um, I guess I guess we'll give the spoiler warning because uh, yeah, we have a lot to talk about. We have a lot to get into. So, mm-hmm. full spoilers for John Wick Chapter Four. You have been warned. And... John kills people. <laughs> he kills a lot of people. <laughs> Actually, one of the things, uh, you know, we, we kind of, I talked about this before. In fact, I think I might have even talked about it on not a John Wick episode. I talked, so we've already recorded a lot of our episodes for, for next month, which is yeah. our, our video game season. So I want to bring this point back up because we're actually talking about John Wick right now and it's relevant. Time so, continuum. Yeah. So one of the things that I, I thought about in John Wick 3 that I didn't really mention on the review, I don't think, but I mentioned mm-hmm. it more in depth on one of the video game movies that we do next month, is that bizarrely John Wick, particularly the third one, started to really feel like the best movie version of what it feels like to play a video game. It's not an adaptation of a video game, but mm-hmm. the reason why I said that is because towards the end of the third movie, they introduced those armored guys that came into yep. the, the Continental. And I, I, I just, it felt like, oh, you've got all your regular enemies and then you make a big deal about introducing the new type of tougher enemy. But mm-hmm. in, in a video game, what would happen after that is that you'd start to just see those tougher versions mixed in with the regular enemies. And sure enough, in John Wick 4, there's a bunch of armored uh, enemies mixed in with the regular dudes. Yep. I, you know, I just, I, I, it felt very video gamey. In fact, there's even a scene, we won't talk about it now, but there's a scene that people on the internet are calling the Hotline Miami scene which is yeah. very video gamey, right? Oh, straight up. So there's a lot of video game feelings in John Wick, and I feel like that's never been truer than Chapter 4. Like, when those action scenes start, in fact, if I'm going to live a little critique at it, is that the fight in uh, Japan, in the mm-hmm. sort of the just the big fancy room with all the sort of light fixtures, like, that all, yeah. that, I think that goes on almost too long. There's a certain oh, point that, where I'm like, yeah. How many people are going to run in for him to kill? Like, it just keeps being groups of two. <laughs> and that's that's the thing that I... I mean, you say we'll get to it, and that's fair, but I... That was the only scene in the movie where, as... Because, again, they keep on coming in in groups yeah. of two. By the time it hit, like, the fourth time, I was like, okay, this scene has to end soon. You're yeah, not well, doing enough with it. Eventually, Kane came in, and once Kane came in, it was good again, because it was like, oh, okay, yeah. now this is going to actually show down. But well, once Kane came in, you recognize this is the final wave. This yeah, is yeah. the boss. But it, it's like, cause like I say, the last like forty-five minutes are all non-stop set piece, set piece. But it, you know, it's mm-hmm. moving through different set pieces, and they're all doing different things. This was right. like a lot of repetition. Uh, it was all point. in the same room. It reminded yeah. me. I think it was the second movie where they had to move through that art museum. Yes. And every single set setting was just beautiful looking, but they kept moving. They kept going through different parts of the mm. museum. This one, it was a bunch of lit up cubes, and we just stayed in that room for I think it was at least twenty minutes. <laughs> it felt like it anyway. <laughs> it felt like if it wasn't, yeah. So actually, one thing we do have to talk about here, um, mm-hmm. we recorded the first three episodes like a few weeks ago. Yeah, like, a good month or so ago, we recorded the first three episodes. So mm-hmm. we didn't mention last Red Lance Reddick passing away in the last episode. Because uh, nope. he, 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 I think he passed away like the, the day or the day after we put our second. I think it was. I think it was out. one week before release, so it would have yeah. been like just before we put out our second one. Yeah. So 
obviously we couldn't mention it because you know we didn't know the future so yeah. this is the first time we get a chance to talk about the fact that lance reddick shockingly passed away very suddenly uh, yeah which you know it, 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 it did kind of hurt because uh, i've like i i I didn't see The Wire first. Obviously, he's well known for The Wire. I saw mm-hmm. him in Lost and then Fringe, a big Fringe fan, so I, I yeah, know him from same. that. But then, of course, I did go back and watch The Wire, and then he's popped up. In, he's always a friendly face. But, you know, Whenever he pops up in yeah. something, it's always nice to see him. He was a staple of this franchise. And it is funny that before I went to see it, I was thinking, oh, I wonder like, if there's going to be a fifth one, how do they deal with the fact that they can't have him back? But little did I know that you know, Sharon was going to be killed off at the, at the start of the I know, movie. Right? Yeah. That, uh, so, so, which, like, honestly, the, like, obviously they made this choice anyway. This was the choice they yeah. wanted to make. So it's fine. Like, it, there's, there's nothing weird about it. But it did feel a little, like, weird. Like, them talking about, you know, losing this great man and they're talking about him dying and he's like, it's been an yeah. honor, sir. And I'm like, they did just really die. This feels weird. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling things <laughs> it it struck me in the same way of i went to go see the last jedi in theaters mm. which that was a mistake on my part but <laughs> uh there's that scene where carrie fisher is you know sucked out through the airlock or whatever and she had just recently died right before i went to go see this and i was like oh my god are they actually going to kill her off here and then she does the weird force thing comes back into the ship and she's still alive until the next movie and I think this is the perfect counterexample to that, where they they just killed off this character entirely by surprise. It was not foreshadowed at all. And they somehow it just managed to have the universe line up of like, well, I guess God likes continuity. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously the, the last of the concerns after he passed away really was like, oh, what are they going to do about oh the yeah next john wick movie that like, you know that's that is not important at all but no. it just so happens that the character dying so them talking about him and grieving for him in the movie mm-hmm. just like hit really hard because he really did just die so it's one of those things where i know that you have to go through like nba ratings and stuff like that but i felt like it was going to have one of those extra little things just mm-hmm. in the movie itself like those little things where it's a special acknowledgement that the character that the actor playing the character had died but obviously it was only a week before release there's no way they could have done it but like you're saying it all, all the things they were saying hit extra hard because of what happened in real life that i don't even think they needed that little extra yeah. tag on there yeah there was a little dedication at the very end of the credits just before yes. or just after the post credit scene which mm-hmm. obviously is nice to see um I mean, I almost wish to put it at the start of the credits, though, just so everyone would see it. Oh, yeah. But... For sure. You know. Um, that might be... Again, that might be some regulations with, like, MPAA stuff. Uh, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure, but... um, Yeah, so... The big thing is that... Harbinger shows up and is like... Mm-hmm. Look. John Wick's going around doing stuff. This is, like... And this is your fault. And Ian McShane, you know... Winston's like, I shot him! It's like, yeah, but he lived. Mm-hmm. And I guess they're just going with the idea that Winston knew he'd survive and he wasn't really hoping he'd killed him or anything like that. Which is kind of something we said was a strong possibility. Uh, but this was actually the thing that I was talking about earlier when I was saying that there's something that feels like it just... It's kind of just ignored to, a, to an yeah. extent. Is the idea that he betrayed John Wick. Because even when they meet each other, there's like a little slight awkwardness to it. But to be honest, after they say like two lines of dialogue, it's like, okay, 
ancient history doesn't matter yeah you know I, I it's it's a it's an issue with how this movie is structured in general with the first part in that there was i mean even before this scene at the very very beginning we get this whole thing of the bowery king walking into john wick who's just training and you it's prepping the viewer like hey remember last movie when he says he's going to be working with the bowery king this is it we're going to be building up this whole thing with them and then he doesn't show up again for two-thirds of the movie and it's just this weird structure where obviously you need to know the last movie happened to know what's going on in this movie but it seems superfluous how the movie ended in any meaningful way yeah, I mean, even that opening, like, it's, it's, yeah, it's John training, he's, he's getting back to health, you know, it's been a few months or whatever long mm-hmm. it's been for him to, like, train and get his body back in physical shape, and, you know, he just goes to the elder in the desert, who's not the yeah. same guy, uh, the re- well, I don't know if this is an excuse because they had to recast it, or if this was, like, an actual point they wanted to make, is that the elder just constantly changes to someone else, but... Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, it's not the same elder as before, Killing me won't accomplish that, and then John Wick obviously just shoots him, um, mm. it, you know, it, it, it's like it, almost, it does almost feel like this was like the, towards the end of like a movie, like the, the whole movie that was going to be the original fourth movie was this. Yeah, exactly. It was. I I I firmly believe that whether we get any confirmation or not. And I I did go back and listen to our John Wick three review just oh, really? before going to see this. Yeah, just so I had a refresher because, like you said, it'd been a month or so. Um. And the one thing we kept on saying was, why did he keep on bowing down to the elder? Why didn't he shoot the elder? Why is it, yeah. you know, this elder felt so out of place? And I felt like this movie was a direct answer to that, where it was like, nah, he says like four words to the guy and then shoots him in the head. And all right, fair enough. We just wanted to make sure that we didn't have to worry about that. Because as I said, this movie, we didn't like the elder. We didn't like this person who was, quote-unquote, above the table Mm -hmm. that had weird shamanistic powers. And so they took that away. And then they gave us the Marquis, who is this person above the table, able to make all of these rules, but he doesn't have these weird shamanistic powers. It's just taking this character that didn't fit the lore and replaced him with a character that felt more like it did. Yeah. Yeah. I. Yeah, it's, it's like... I'm kind of with two minds because some of it feels a little bit quick and a little bit just like not smooth as far as storytelling yeah. goes. But at the same time, they are quickly just retconning things that I didn't like. So I guess <laughs> I shouldn't, you know. It's like, I mean, wasn't that the whole thing in the third movie of you do not find the elder, he'll find you. Mm-hmm. And then John just goes out in the first five minutes of this movie and finds the elder and shoots him. Yeah, so I mean, if, I mean, obviously he's riding the horse, he's shooting the people. They, 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 they mm. don't make it look like it's easy, but the fact that it just cuts to him just arriving like that does make yeah. it feel like it was easy. You know, it doesn't yeah, feel like exactly. it was this tough like. And thing. then he, the whole reason he's there is apparently to get back his wedding ring, which the elder took last movie, and then that is also dropped. That's also a thing where he's like, "All right, guess it's gone anyway." Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It's not even just that this stuff is, set, you know, the the opening setting up, taking down the table, and maybe the elder you'd think would be the end of that, is that there's mm. even some conversations after this when he's in Japan, specifically with uh, the daughter, with uh, Shimazu's daughter, yes. um, Mia, I think her name is, Yes. where she's like, oh, make sure you, you kill the whole goddamn table, and he's like, yeah, I will. So, and I was kind of like, oh, so that's what the movie's going to be about. 
and then somewhere it just kind of shifts to just being about john winning his freedom again like it just becomes that again uh which isn't which is fine but i will say that i think what you really need to do here right especially since john seemingly dies at the end we're in spoilers so i can can just kind of throw that out um although i'm not necessarily convinced and i'll say why (laughs) later um but i think what it could have done and again i'm I'm sort of tackling the negatives first that's but what it could have done and what it should have probably done is set up maybe just more of why he just wants to win his freedom again because the way i was kind of reading it and i think it could have done more to like really get this across is that he wanted to die a free man he wanted to win his freedom because that was the conversation came up last movie with uh winston where he's like you know what man are you going to be you're going to be the killer are you going to be like the you know her husband right who are you yeah. going to be when you finally go and i think that was kind of why winning his freedom was important to him and you know he seemingly dies right afterwards and it's like oh he mm-hmm. got to die a free man he got to die just the husband yeah i think the mission statement of this movie happens just before the third act where the marquis says there are three types of men mm-hmm. those uh, who have something to die for those who have something to live for and those who have something to kill for and they say that john at this point is none of those things he's completely empty he has no purpose at all and i think the mission statement of this movie is john wants not to become one of those things but he recognizes that he isn't any of those things anymore and as such he has no reason to continue on so this is john's death march more or less and he's just trying as you said to clear the board before he does to be able to say no i'm not in service to anyone i don't die this killer in service of the table i die john wick loving husband yeah and i think that idea is solid um mm-hmm. I, I just think it could have been maybe a little better uh self admittedly though i yeah. think it might work for me better in the second viewing where i'm going in thinking that at the start i think on the first viewing there was kind of that turmoil of sort of like adjusting as the movie was kind of aiming mm-hmm. in a new direction at a certain well, even, point even john was because at the point where he meets up with winston at sharon's grave Winston calls him out like you're just gonna keep killing people and they're just gonna keep replacing them none of this ends with you just killing more people and I feel like that's the scene where John has to come to the realization of like okay now like I have to do something that's actually meaningful in some way rather than just killing over and over yeah I guess that's the scene that's supposed to make a shift from like just wanting to see him kill the entire table but Mm-hmm. I don't know if it convinced me that we were leaving that behind you. No, but also I think that that scene entirely would work at the end of the fourth movie or at the beginning of the fifth. In the place where it's at now of the middle of this movie, it doesn't have that weight to it. It doesn't have, because we've seen John just, we had the uh, Japanese guy, Shim- Shimazu's, um, just tell him, look, kill as many people as you can on the way out. Like the entire goal here is kill. And then the very next scene after he gets out is, well, what if killing isn't the right answer? It's just a bit of a whiplash between the two. Yeah. I mean, I think you can put it in the middle of a movie, but I think you have to sort of dramatically make it a bigger deal in the moment. I think think it has to be something that it feels like it's shaking John a little bit, and you have to see that he's looking Mm. for for what his real goal is at this point. Um, But, yeah, so the the first kind of chunk of the movie um after our openings is that he's hiding in japan he's hiding at the continental in uh, osaka and yes. this is where uh shimizu uh, he runs the continental here and he's mm-hmm. old friends with john 
His daughter is not happy. We, what? We somewhat skipped over it because I went back. Uh, they blew up the Continental. That happened. That yeah, the bad this. guys blew up the Continental, yeah. yes. The, the, the Marquis said, you worked with John, that's a no-no, and blew up the Continental. So, and then shot Sharon, obviously. Yeah. I will, I will say, I kind of... I was uneasy when they went to see the Marquis, and it kind of mm-hmm. felt like, yeah, he's probably going to want to shoot someone, and I kind of thought it might be Sharon, just because I feel like, oh, Winston's going to stick around. Yeah. So, like... I mean, once... Because the entire time, the entire... They do the um, Hitchcock thing of they show you the timer. They show you the countdown via an hourglass of something's going to happen at the end of this. And it turns out to be the destruction of the Continental. But I thought that as soon as that timer hit zero, he was just going to flip around with the gun and shoot one of them. And when it didn't happen that way, I thought that both of them were going to be safe for, you know, 15 seconds until whoops. You fool. You ignorant yeah. fool. Yeah. Yeah, I... Yeah, so... But the big first chunk of the movie mostly takes place in Japan. It, it's mm-hmm. John hiding here, the, the daughter Mia not being happy because she knows that her father associating with John Wick is probably going to like get their Continental destroyed as well and get everyone killed. Uh, it doesn't even take that long. Uh, there's sort of like the main henchman of the Marquis is you know, goatee, silver suit. Uh, yep. He shows up with all the mercs pretty quickly to deal with things and we're also introduced to the tracker character who we find out is called uh mr nobody uh mm. at least that's what he says anyway i'm sure that's not his real name but that's what he's saying uh, anytime anybody asks him who are you like what side are you on because that's the thing he's not part of their system he isn't wearing like a suit and tie like everyone else mm. he d- doesn't he's just a guy who as far as we could tell is on the same sort of level as like bowery king where he knows about everything. He's aware how it works, but he works outside of it. Yeah. Uh, but he's sort of looking for John as well and kind of just kind of ominously looking. Sometimes he sort of steps in and helps a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. There's kind of an encounter here just when John's leaving after all the fighting where John calls him a tracker and mm-hmm. he's like, oh, you know, how much money's on my head uh, or whatever. And he's like, oh, not hmm. enough yet. This idea being that when it does reach a certain amount, he will step in and like claim the bounty. Yeah. Um, which you know that that's been kind of a running thing since John Wick One is like how much money is someone put out on John Wick's head? By the end hmm. of this movie, it's up to forty million dollars. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. Which simultaneously, like, yes, of course, that's a huge amount of money, but it's so strange in like today's world when you hear you know these massive sums of money of billions, where. 40 million kind of seems small in comparison. You know? Like, with with every time we saw the marquee on screen, and the tracker even specifically says it at one point, of like, raise the bounty, you can afford it. Like, they know there's so much more money being bought and sold here. So 40 million strangely seems, while it is huge, paltry in the way of their lifestyles. I mean, yes and no. If you're a regular hitman... Like, oh yeah, all the other hit jobs aren't paying forty. They're they're paying no. one or two for the most part, by the sounds of it. You know, maybe the odd, the odd ones five or six if it's a bit spacier. John Wick's just so wanted that even the yeah. eight million in the first movie was quite tantalizing for a lot of them, and then it went up to like thirteen million or whatever in the second. You know, it's it's been rising mm. consistently. 
I guess I'm more so considering it less on who would be receiving the money and more on who's putting out the hit. Yeah. Where I feel like the Mark's key could afford to be like, nah, a hundred million and wouldn't even blink an eye. To be fair, Mr. Nobody, like, you know, he looks like he's living quite, you know. <laughs> the Bowery King. <laughs> not quite, I mean, not quite homeless, but he, he looks like he's wearing normal, regular people clothes. He doesn't seem like he's got a lot of high-tech stuff. He's, yeah, he and that's like fine. A, a normal schlub. But on the other side of that, if he were actually hurting for money that much, he would take out John at the first opportunity he had, because 13 million is better than zero. It makes you wonder, if he's done this before with anyone else, mm. that means he get paid a lot of money if, he's, if his uh, standards are so high. But, you know, why, why is he not rich then? Because he even says he wants to be rich, so does it mean that he was rich and he just blew it all on gambling or something? Is he just... <laughs> I, I don't know. Is I mean, just... it could terrible he, with money he, he at least because you get those gold coins for killing that was established before and he had at least one gold coin to check into the hotel That's so true. he's at least killed one person before at least one so we introduced to kane as well um mm. who's brought in and we know he's got a daughter that he doesn't actually he stays out of her life seemingly for safety reasons uh, but he goes and listens to her play because she's a, a violinist. Uh, she's a busker. Yeah. And basically, he doesn't want to go after John Wick. He doesn't you know, want to even go after anyone. He's like, I'm not used to you. Like, leave me alone. Uh, mm-hmm. But the Marquis having none of that. He wants him to go after John Wick. And, you know, outright threatens that if you don't, then, you know, your daughter might be the one who has to pay the price. Uh, so... Uh, he's kind of roped into it, so we we instantly we get this kind of sympathetic character who, even before he sees John on screen, refers to him as a friend. Like that, that's the mm-hmm. first thing he says. You know, Marquis like he was a colleague of yours, right? He's like he was a friend. You know, he specifically says that. So it yep. sets us up for the type of character. We're... I think I think it is interesting that there's a lot of people at John Wick's kind of level, not so much in skill necessarily, although Kane kind of is. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, even the Japanese guy, who's another actor, Hiroyo uh, Sanada, you've seen him in a bunch of stuff. Like he's, oh, yeah. he's in tons of things. But there's kind of the sentiment of like a lot of people that are around John's age and sort of level in terms of their stature under the table that are mm-hmm. all kind of ready to just throw it away. They're, they're all kind of like done with it at this point. Yeah, you know. I mean, I I feel like it's the same sort of thing of you know, just any sort of society that has a government above it like nobody actually likes the government everyone would love for something else to come in and do it but until there's a suitable replacement or someone actually able to do something about it what are you gonna do you know i feel like it's that same sort of angst like that's the thing that everyone can relate to is rebelling against authority nobody likes to be told what to do yeah um Especially when every time we see the table in any of these movies, they're doing something awful. At no point is the table like, oh no, we're, you know, providing guns to all of our assassins and whatnot. It's just, no, they're always putting down some law that's causing people to lose either their money or their homes or whatever. Yeah. Although I would debate one point of what you just said there is that we never see the table. We... We hear of what they're doing. <laughs> the the arms of the table. Like yeah. in this movie, the uh you said the big the grunt guy who comes in with the goatee and everything. 
he comes in, he's like, hey, I'm working for the marquee. The marquee represents the table. Uh, we just deconsecrated your whole hotel. So step aside. And that's the sort of thing of uh, honestly, if the they table want, working through him. If they wanted to pull a Wizard of Oz twist at some point, and you know, the, there's just one guy behind the curtain, like, no, no. Well, isn't that, isn't that what the Elder really was, though, last movie? No, because they're still implying there's a table with all these families that all sit at the table. Like, they're still that's going fair. on this route. But we never actually see the table being operated, so part of me is just thinking that there's just some teenager in like a, a basement somewhere with a computer who's just claiming to be all these like powerful people. It's it's just Matthew Broderick and war games. <laughs> yeah. That's all it is. Uh, so, obviously, it does, you know, it's funny how it kind of doesn't focus on John for a bit, it just focuses on Mia and her father, and we mm. get a proper introduction to all them and nobody sort of arriving at the, the hotel and they do a great job in this scene of they make sure to walk all the way from reception to where john is yes so that way when the fight has to go back the opposite way you know exactly where we are the whole time yeah that's just smart uh, plotting and direction that's what that is Mm -hmm. um but you know it takes a while to get to john and even once we do see where john is and that he's hiding kind of in the back somewhere uh, out in this sort of like balcony outside well not even a balcony i thought it was a rooftop yeah yeah it's like a rooftop yeah uh and when you eventually do get to him though it still kind of stays away from him even once the fighting starts it kind of stays away from him it mostly focuses on the showdown between the japanese guy Mm -hmm. and the the henchmen like they're they're facing off and then all the the armed dudes come in and all of the japanese guys like men you know have their bows and arrows uh they fight with samurai Mm -hmm. swords things like that there's like two sumo looking guys who clearly have also bulletproof material because they just tank some hits uh which i when was that established second movie second movie established the 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 suits yeah the the kevlar in it that's just a give every single person that we meet now wears these suits yeah and and to be fair they they do i would be annoyed if it was just like a hand wavy thing where they said oh that's why they can all just tank hits but to be fair you constantly see John and some of the other characters that he's fighting. You constantly see them using the suits. Like, they're holding mm-hmm. it up on the fra- front of their face. They're still treating it like, yeah, this is like an active mechanic that we're using. So yeah. it's not just... It's just something we've written in so we can explain away things later. It's like, no, no, we're mm-hmm. actually going to direct the action as if they're using it in strategical ways. And I appreciate My, that. Yeah, for sure. My favorite scene regarding any of it, though, is actually just before the final showdown when john takes off his suit jacket and you just hear all the shells falling out of it because <laughs> it's like yeah no he's been hit like three dozen times there's going to be a few bullets wedged in there three dozen not like 300 <laughs> but yeah, yeah uh so yeah you get a lot of, a lot of fighting here I, I did sort of laugh a little bit when the daughter mia like took off her like sort of you know elegant japanese oh, like yeah. uh, concierge dress and underneath is like a sort of like ninja cat suit <laughs> like re- waiting for fighting <laughs> just the the batman catwoman sort of yeah it's exactly kind of like that yeah it's like catwoman's mm. got her outfit ready um and yeah I, honestly one of the highlights here though is the way they build up to uh kane getting involved because he just he, mm. he's like He's in, like, silhouette eating noodles as the rest are all having a gunfight, and they're like, hey, Ken, when are you going to get involved and do what you're, you're, you're here to do? And he mm-hmm. eventually just sort of gets up, and there's lots of little things he does. Like, he puts motion sensors on a bunch of surfaces so that when someone walks by them, it ding-dongs, and he yeah. fires the gun at them, and it's like, oh, that's very effective. You, you quite quickly get what he's doing. It's, you know. 
I I felt that that was pretty much that first scene was the entire reason that they made Kane blind because that's where <laughs> they took full advantage of all the different mechanics of you know he he doesn't know where any of his opponents are to start so he just fires off wildly and once he hears a response that's when he's able to pinpoint in and he's very good at keeping track of his surroundings and that's constant in any of the fights here is that you see him do things sort of wildly but as soon as he gets a lock on someone he's able to keep track of where they are and attack accordingly yeah one of the little performance details that i liked about kane is that a lot of time during the fight scenes because he's blind and he's not necessarily having to look at anyone i kind of like that sometimes he's not looking where you would expect someone to be looking when they're in a mm-hmm. like his head's just kind of facing whatever direction as he's like fighting someone he's not actually looking at them which typically when two people are fighting each other your eyes are locked on yeah. the other person but he his entire head is just facing randomly in the distance because it you know it doesn't mm-hmm. matter to him and that felt like a very conscious uh performance choice and it, it did oh, yeah. make him look more unique when he was fighting as a result yeah his fighting style was extremely unique out of i, I i'd say even more so than john or the tracker who are other big players here he's he's one when he's on screen even if it was silhouette i think you'd be able to tell his fighting style compared to everyone oh, else's sure, yeah uh, of course his cane's also a blade which he uses a yeah. bunch as well so yeah so all this fighting happens um you kind of think it's building up uh to shimazu dying of course it does um mm-hmm. and he has kind of a showdown with kane kane's already had a showdown with john admittedly at this point this comes after all their fighting uh, shimazu and kane have literally the kill bill volume one fight out in the cherry blossom garden on a bridge over a pond they have the most stereotypical samurai showdown I've ever seen in my life, and I loved it. Oh, it's, it's absolutely intentional. This is supposed to be a homage to, you know, like it feels like yeah. it's doing homages to different types of action cinema, and this is kind of mm-hmm. one of the ones it's going for. Um, and Kane, like, basically begs him not to fight him so he doesn't have to kill him, and, mm-hmm. you know, does. And that sets up this idea, which is also very Kill Bill, actually, that the daughter is going to harbor a grudge against yep. him for killing her father so that's something that uh we, sh- we should keep in our minds and uh, the fight with john though we should mention uh mm-hmm. there's there's a couple of nice little bits there's like a moment where like john falls and he's very quiet and kane thinks you dead john yeah <laughs> and john's like sort of looking over because his guns ran out and he's looking over at this other gun that's dropped from you know, one of the guys that he's killed and he's mm-hmm. like, uh, we try to get it. And then obviously the grass, the, the, the broken glass just creaks a little bit. And it's like, shit. And then the fight starts. Which I, I do appreciate that they didn't make Kane Daredevil, where mm-hmm. he has this super attuned hearing. It's like, no, a normal person would be able to hear this glass crunching under John's weight. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But he, but he wasn't able to hear John's like breathing or his heartbeat or anything like that. Yeah, like, I think you could if you were perfectly calm, but he's also out of breath because he's been fighting as well. So oh, yeah. obviously the sound of his own breathing will be masking John's breathing, to, you know, mm-hmm. within reason. So, yeah, yeah that, that was, like, one of the fun little inventive things uh, there. Like I say, the, the, right before this, when it was just, the, it was, like, for some reason, just two guys at a time coming in to fight him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it felt like that went on for a little bit too long. But I think the only reason why is they really wanted to do the nunchuck scene that's and right, John's got some nunchucks and he is whipping people in the face with them. But as soon as you get more than like two guys, it's hard to choreograph 
how is he not actually being mobbed right now? It's either they aren't in the room or they're standing around him in a circle and are attacking him Power Ranger style. Which I do appreciate that everything he did with the nunchucks wasn't necessarily what you expect. There's a couple mm-hmm. of points where he just like has both hands on one part of the nunchuck and he's just whipping the other end into someone's head. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, that just feels very visceral, but also like... I'm sure he does know what he's doing because at one point he does a couple of the, you know, the the whip arounds and holds them properly. Yeah. But at the same time, when you're just holding it with both hands and just whipping the other end into your head, that's like that's something I would do with the nunchucks because I'm not trained with them. That's like the oh, amateur, yeah. like just violent thing to do with them. Well, there was one moment specifically I remember they brought attention to was uh, John kept on. It was a you know he's fighting two guys and every time he turns to the guy on the left, he kept on hit, hitting him in the head with it enough to like stun him for a second. And he did that like three times. And then when it came to the fourth time, the guy covered his head as to not get hit again. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then John just takes the nunchucks to his nuts. It's like, all right, well, yeah, you you planned it out. Good choreography, cause and effect. It makes sense. Yeah. And, and that's also a joke. Like, he's, Oh, he, yeah. Yeah. You say there's not a lot of comedy, but that was a joke scene. That was a joke but moment, I should say. It, it was, but it was not brought attention to, is the thing. Like, if you were watching the other guy for even that half second where it happened, you mm. wouldn't have noticed. Well, I think that's what makes it funnier, though. I, I think uh-huh. humor is way funnier, typically, when you don't treat it like, oh, there's a punchline there. Everyone, <laughs> stop Everyone and... see this? Yeah. It's hilarious. Um, it's just not a thing. Maybe if you if you don't notice it the first time, but when you notice that the second or third time you watch it, you're going to be like, "Oh shit, that's really funny." Yeah, it's really funny that that's there, and the fact that they they're able to slip it in without most people noticing is just makes it funnier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? uh, that's, that's just how it works. Uh, yep. So, you know, John gets a gets away. He he goes back to New York, I guess. Next mm-hmm. to uh, there, there is the on. one moment where he has the only like three seconds with mia basically line yeah yeah, on the train basically lining up hi i'm a character who is fully franchisable good to see you i'll see you in three years (laughs) yeah i was expecting her to come back i know she does in the post credit scene but i was expecting her Mm -hmm. to be someone that they'd set up for later in the movie yeah but i thought she was going to be like the thing that saves john from kane but no, she's just gone. Yeah, yeah. It's got a little bit of that shared universe. We're trying to build other things here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so John goes back to New York and sort of to Sharon's grave and, like, you know, apologizes. I, don't, I shouldn't say apologize. You know what I mean? Give, give us these, yeah. you know, sorry for your loss. That Condolences. Thing. Condolences, thank you. That was the word yep. I was looking for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I apologize. I was not there to kill the bastard. I'm sorry I killed Sharon. My bad. <laughs> um... But he, you know, like you said, Winston gives him these like mm-hmm. uh, this speech about what is it, where's it going to end? What are you going to do after you've killed them? They're just going to replace them, so mm-hmm. on and so on. And it's like, hey, the marquee's after you, right? This guy's put in charge. the The table of basically giving him a new seat. He wasn't on the table before, but he's got a conditional seat that if he kills you, he will mm-hmm. then then get that seat. And they've given him the full power of the table. And everything at their disposal to come after you. So John's like, "All right, where is he?" He's like, "Paris, right? I'm gonna go kill him then." Yep. <laughs> off marches off, gonna go. But then Winston stops him and says, "Hey, here's the thing, though. There's a way to kill him and also guarantee your freedom." And he invokes the new rules that we had not established before, where you can basically challenge anybody on the table 
to single combat. Here's here's the thing. I didn't like this when he brought this up because it was like another just rule. We're just adding on too many like things to the mythology at this point. Yes. It, it feels a little bit silly. That said, though, like any decent made action movie, even if the premise of something at the start feels a bit ridiculous, when you actually see it all play out later, you don't care anymore because it was just too much fun oh, yeah. to actually Absolutely. go through. So I don't want to like even critique it too much or complain about it. But in the moment, I thought, oh, this sounds, sounds a bit shit. Luckily, the rest of the movie played out wonderfully, so it doesn't matter. Oh, but. Yeah, no, this is, as soon as they said, oh, there's there's this old law, and I'm like, all right, here we go, the old rules, yeah. the, the ones that are deep magic from before the dawn of time. <laughs> it's like, all right, whatever. It's, a, it's, and, a, but, it's an old rule that most people at the table don't even remember this really exists. Yeah, exactly. But like you said, I love because laying down this rule, they then established the plot, which was back in i think it was the second movie when he tore his ticket with his family mm. in russia no that was the third movie uh he tore his ticket with his family in order to get safe passage uh he has to go and basically mend that and then well yeah just to explain why yeah uh, mm. you can only invoke a duel at the table or yep. around the table and this is this is not a literal table obviously just beneath the tablecloth yeah. uh is if you are part of one of the families connected to the mm-hmm. table. So he has to go back to the family that he left behind and basically beg to be let back in. And of course, they don't want to let him back in. They hate his guts now. Yeah. Um. However, it turns out that someone killed one of the family members. And mm-hmm. if John can go and take care of him, then maybe we'll, maybe we'll think about it. So this is the one part in the movie where I think that they really wanted you to forget one of the things they set up in the third movie, which is mm. nobody is allowed to help the excommunicated with anything. Because if you remember, the adjudicator went around and like viscerally hurt the people who were helping John even mildly. Yeah. And I feel like they were like, okay, that kind of limits our options here if he's completely separated from the world so i guess we'll just let him in again that being said i guess is he technically excommunicated still because the elder did reverse that on condition that he kill winston but then he didn't kill winston so i don't know where he actually stands in terms of communication i don't think anything really contradicts it like per se you know the excommunicado thing i think Mm -hmm. the idea is is that if they accept him and he invokes the duel then it's not, it doesn't matter if he's excommunicado because at that point, like if he wins the duel, then whatever his terms are, it'll be fine. And presumably one of them, which you know, obviously it's going to be freedom specifically, but mm. one of them you presume is I'm not excommunicado anymore. <laughs> Stop. Right, but I'm <laughs> saying that them even letting him back into the family would have been helping him, ex- even though he's excommunicated. That's what I'm saying. Um. Well, no, not necessarily because. Like he tore his ticket to help get help help to get out, right? When mm-hmm. he was already excommunicado in the last movie. So yeah. he was still part of a family when he was excommunicated. But he was punished for that. The family, remember the one lady who ran the ballet was yeah, punished yeah. for helping him despite he still had his ticket. Yeah. Well, I think this just fits back into the we're trying to like take some power back because there's yeah, some, no. some people at the table we don't like and that's what I'm cause, sure because that, that's the other key thing here is that John points out, if this is an official duel, 
then we we can fix this properly and mm -hmm. you know all of us you know we we can actually get what you want so he goes off to kill this guy who killed like this high-ranking member of the family right the uncle or whatever he was yeah. and that leads us to the character i hated the most in the entire <laughs> movie which is this big fat guy with gold teeth who yep. and it's not so much his look but i mean his look is definitely over the top but it's like he's, he's got this, this cheesy like villainous laugh that he, he lets out mm -hmm. it feels like they're going for like a uh jab of the hut but like poker yeah, dealer guy i could see it that's, that's he's, what he he's is. definitely just if i feel that his entire character if you had to boil it down to one word is sleaze yes that's what he's supposed to represent and it works it absolutely does but it is a character you're not supposed to like and i think that might have backfired a little bit i think he just he felt so over the top that i just not that john wick's a grounded world but it's not a silly world right yeah and when they do things that feel sillier it takes me out of it like the elder in the desert like this asshole and mm. you know he he wants to play a game around the poker for who gets to to kill him or because for some reason kane was already there waiting for john because he figured out this would be the plan and then the tracker tracked him here yes and instead of them just unloading and just taking the shot or in Kane's case, he has the sword on him, just stabbing John. They decide, no, we'll entertain this notion and just play a poker game to see who gets to kill John. Now, that said, um, I did think that the lighting in this scene was absurdly cinematic. Like, oh my god, that this is like it's almost so too cinematic to the point where I just obviously all lighting in movies is orchestrated to get a specific look, and it's all none, none of it's just happenstance, right? Yep. But this is so over the top with the, and I know it's like he's like this is like the back room of like a like a rave club or something, right? Okay, can we just pause there? How many goddamned raves are in these universes? Like this has to be at least the seventh rave that John just happens to be at. Why well, is everything set at a rave? It is a lot. There was of one raves. in the first movie. There's one in the second movie. Was there one in the third movie? I don't remember. Probably. I have to assume so. It, it, There's been one per movie every time. Well, your math's a bit off then, because it's only the fourth movie. Okay, when I say things big like that, it means I'm exaggerating. Well, uh, yes, but uh, look, it's, it's a staple of the series. There's always a scene in a rave. <laughs> That's the... I guess. This one just seemed the most out of place, because uh, in the uh, first one, you know, the guy was hanging out of the rave. The guy he was hunting down. That makes sense. The second one, it was a celebration for that person being inducted to the high table. So that made sense. Third one, we can't even remember if there was one. This one, it was a backroom poker thing, which was dead silent for a lot of it. And then you just go down the hallway and there's this crazy dance club scene going well, on. Well, Keller owns this place. That's that was They set that up. Uh, fair enough, but it still felt super weird to have just had these two well, settings it, it, next to each other. At least it made the lighting make sense, because there's this like, big circle like, a, array of lights that kept spinning around and making like you know fancy shapes yeah, in the background. There's the big fan spinning, so you get the shadow of the fan. Like It's so absurdly cinematic that it's like yeah. almost too much to the point where I'm like, this just feels like unbelievable that any lighting would ever naturally result in this yeah you know that's fair um 
But, I mean, I did say at the very beginning, this is possibly the most stylistic entry yeah. in the entire yeah, franchise. Yeah, but like when it's a sunrise or a sunset or something with a city or whatever, it's like, okay, that's still quite natural in the sense, though, that it's just mm-hmm. you're catching it at the right time and you're you're going for a look. Um, this is like really orchestrated. But that said, yeah. um, it did look good. And mm-hmm. I specifically thought Donnie Yen looked really cool. There's a moment or an extended period of this scene where he's just got a gun pointed at Killer. And... He just—he's got the sunglasses on. He's in his suit and he's just pointing the gun. And it's just the, the shot looking at, at him was is very—it looks like the, the cover to ah, uh, uh, what's that John Woo movie? There's a cover. Uh, there's, a, there's a front. There's a poster. That looks exactly like him sitting there pointing that gun. Uh, I think it's Chung Un Fat that's in it, but it doesn't matter. The the killer, possibly the killer. Yes, looks like it. The what it reminded me of was a video game called No More Heroes. You had that sort of vibe going on. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, obviously, it breaks out into a fight um, mm. eventually. Uh, I mean, should we... I This scene, if you're talking about thematic and like cinematic stuff, mm-hmm. so they flip over their five-card draw. They show their hands. John, of course, has the dead man's hand of aces and eights. I think that... Next up was Kane, who had four of a kind. Then it went to Tracker, who had a royal flush. And then finally, Killa flipped his hand, and it was five of a kind. But then it led into one of my favorite comedic beats, which was Kane and John just being like, yeah, I figured he would probably cheat. He's he's a prick like that. It wasn't even just that. Kane actually said, let me guess, five of a kind. It's like, yeah. that's just a very accurate prediction, given the fact that you can't see those cards. <laughs> he also said what his cards were in his hand without being able to see them. <laughs> Borderline magic. He's feeling the uh, the ink. Uh, it's a slightly raised on the card, I guess. I don't know. But that just goes back to borderline magic. Yeah. Uh. It's a special set of cards with some Braille on them. I don't know. What do you want? Okay, sure. What, what do yep. you want from me? Those I'm not asking exist. for an exp- I'm not saying it's it's not, and I'm also not asking for an explanation. But the movie played it off as borderline magic. Sure, uh, but you know, it, it is this thing where Kane's kind of working with John in this fight scene to to an extent. Mm. I mean, um, all three of them are working together against Killa. It seems. Yeah. Uh, and obviously Killer sets, sends a lot of men towards John. The fight breaks out into the rave. There's like a big water feature that John ends up fighting in for an extended period. Yeah. Uh, you know, so again, absurd visuals because we're at this really interesting location that's, you know, maybe even designed with this feature in mind. Like, I don't know if they found this or they actually just built it, but... Uh, it seems built. Yeah. So, yeah. I think at this point, one thing we haven't mentioned yet is Tracker... Uh, has a dog companion that I felt, as we said in the last movie, one of the things that felt like a cool idea that they didn't run with enough was the dog companions to, I forget what actress it was. Halle Berry. Halle Berry, that's right. Um, This movie I felt was that same thing, but done better, done correctly, where it isn't the dog's just on their own. The dog follows Tracker's commands, and he has this deep emotional bond with it to make him this is where i felt he was closer to the anti john wick in the dog loving scenario i don't think i ever got anti john wick because i just don't think he ever had any 
Like, he, he didn't have a lot of actual combat scenes, and when he did, they didn't feel, like, as impressive as John. Whereas Kane, they were specifically out of their way to show he is equally, at least, as skilled as John Wick in a fight. That's fair. I, I think, for me, the reason I thought Tracker was able to hold his own is that he keeps on bailing John out. Whenever it seems John is in over his head, he comes in and saves it. So, yes, he's able to get the contract himself, but he's able to still do things that John wasn't able to do. Just by value of surprise, of course, but still able to do it. Yeah, but that's not that doesn't mean he can hold himself in a fight the way John oh, can no. against multiple people. I, but he but he does. In the end of the movie, he does, though. During the abandoned house set piece. He, well, he does it a little bit, but it, it never looks quite as impressive as what John does, though, I don't think. And that's fair. No, it never... I mean, it, it never, John gets all the most impressive-looking stuff. Well, yeah, but that's what my point, though, is... Yeah, no, but he does get all the most impressive-looking stuff, because Kane is equally impressive in this, if not more impressive. Yes, I will agree that, but I also think a large part of that is because of his unusual fighting style. That's what makes it look even more impressive. We're, we're taking into it the fact that he is unable to see and therefore he's no, able to do these cool things. visually impressive, though. Oh, nobody, no, it is visually nobody impressive. Nobody did do anything visually impressive. And I'm not saying that he can. I'm saying that the movie didn't go out of its way to show it. So there is nothing to suggest to me that he is equal to John in any way. Um, All right, fair enough. You know, I, I wasn't even... Like, I thought he might be bluffing the entire movie because, honestly, the, the, the standout scene he has, which came before this, is when... He goes to see Marquis, and Marquis stabs mm-hmm. him in the hand when he's, like, sort of battering for more money, and says, you know, a coward, like, pulls the knife out of your hand, but, like, a, you know, a... A complete sociopath would just move the hand. <laughs> yeah, would rip your hand out from the blade. And that's yep. what he does. And, you know, he doesn't come out of that scene feeling strong. He doesn't come out of that scene... You know, the entire time, the idea of John building up to like actually meeting marquee one-on-one you think oh john's gonna eat you for breakfast you don't have to have a chance but right. when he's with nobody it kind of feels like he does like have the better of nobody he does belt alone he does make him feel small uh right but the fact that that scene came nearly immediately after the scene where tracker had john in his sights back in osaka and he was saying like, hey, no, you know, contract's not quite big enough. That's the only reason you're still alive. I felt that was to show that Tracker had the hand up on John, at least in that scene. And then Marquis had the hand up on Tracker, which is just selling the strength of Marquis more. I don't think I agree with the him having the hand up on John. It didn't feel like he actually had any advantage. Or, like that, that conversation to me felt very much akin to what John's had in other movies with other characters. Where he just kind of like calmly asks, like, "What's the deal?" You know, whether it's when he ran into Common in the second movie, mm. or the the other guy uh, in the Continental that he they give the women to to look after. Yeah, you know, just little moments like that where you just very matter of factly ask, "Who are you and what's your purpose?" Kind of thing. Um, okay, that's fair. So, a- anyway, uh, like I will say though, at this point in the movie, I was sort of thinking like, okay, I'm expecting a lot of big set pieces, and it did deliver. Like, it has mm-hmm. the best set pieces of the entire franchise in the last 45 minutes. But at this point in the movie, we're like halfway through, and I thought, yeah, that was an alright fight scene in the rave and the water feature, and then some of the stuff in Japan was was good, particularly with Kane. But mm-hmm. I, w- I was thinking, you know, it's not. I feel like the other movies had like bigger set pieces by this point. I was starting to think, oh, like is the action kind of like have they not thought of any cool new ideas and obviously that's a silly thought once you've seen the rest of the movie but oh, this, absolutely but it's definitely all back 
like loaded you know none of it's mm. in that first two thirds like all the really cool stuff is in that last third which isn't necessarily a bad thing for an action movie in many respects you should argue that you would build up to your best stuff but mm-hmm. i would actually say that in reality that's actually really the case most action movies their best like set piece tends to be in act two sometimes even earlier it's actually yeah. really common if you if you if you pay attention to a lot of action movies you'll, you'll find that you know i was about to bring up a video game movie that uh <laughs> we're doing next month i won't i won't spoil thoughts i won't spoil thoughts but that's fair it, it, it is something that happens so it was actually kind of refreshing in a way but it did i had the, there was a little inkling of worrying at this point where i'm like yeah the action's been solid but it's not been like special or doing anything great yet i think the biggest issue at this point as well i mean i assumed that the entire last hour was just going to be john kills the entirety of paris but i think the biggest issue at this point right here is that it spends a good probably half an hour just prepping for that and it's deep in the lore it's deep in just characters talking to each other and it feels very i don't want to say sluggish because it keeps a good pace the whole way through but it feels very calm and after everything else we had it's needed it's needed to have the moment of calm to make it burst into action that much more but it does set expectations a bit lower do you know what it is actually so i'm thinking it is this whole killer thing where he's having to go and get killer and prove that he's killed him so he can get back out of the family so they can uh issue the duel issue the duel right that's the whole point here mm-hmm. it's all a bit side questy right oh absolutely right it's all side questy and this is going back to the video game comparison this is just the the means to the end this is the task you have to complete so you can do the real task that's important later mm-hmm. and i think fundamentally it kind of always just feels that way because it's you know this is like this killer guy is not important to the overall movie not no. really right he's, he's no. just there to be this obstacle that john has to get over and i think everything around him feels a little bit bloated i mean obviously that's not a fat joke he's literally bloated himself but <laughs> just in the sense that we do spend so much time like this scene where they're sitting talking to him and they're playing poker uh does last quite quite a bit of time and fundamentally it's not really building to the confrontation with the real villain it's, it's servicing like an element of the plot you know the like john has to achieve x thing but mm-hmm. part, part of me almost thinks like you could have just rewritten the script to not have the requirement of being in the family see see if you just wrote the script so winston said you can issue a duel to someone from the table and they have to you know accept it and just mm-hmm. leave out that extra rule that you have to be in a family not no one i think would question it no one would even think about it, it i mean just... you're right but i see here's the thing the poker scene while yes it was a slower moment i immediately took that to be this is our western homage this is the everyone sitting around the saloon guns pointed at each other under the table and we're just doing a full western homage for oh i, I mean i can see why you're saying scene. that i still take the end that he's more of a western homage but i i can see why hmm. you're saying it about this as well yeah because, but the, I mean, ending is, the ending is absolutely a western homage the music goes full western they're yeah. doing you know a, a duel with pistols the whole thing is very yeah uh, very i just much think that. they also did it here because there was a lot in this movie that was western homage you had um the riding through the desert even in the like second scene of this movie and shooting guys on horseback through the desert i it seemed very like you said it was doing homages of a bunch yeah. of different action periods throughout I think what's interesting as I'm talking about the movie going through it is that I'm mm-hmm. realizing 
how much it really is the last like 45 minutes that i really loved because the rest of it like i'm constantly saying this is what's wrong with this part this is what's wrong with this part this is why Mm -hmm. it feels kind of sluggish at this point i do think the first two thirds of this movie do suffer and it's not until they i think they they sit down and set the, the rules and the terms of the duel where i feel like okay they've set up what this movie's now really properly building to yeah they mentioned there was going to be a duel earlier and that's that was probably always going to happen mm. but that's when the movie feels like it's starting to ride in that direction it feels like we're actually building to the real thing now and you know it's not too long after this when he, he, he becomes a member of the family he burns the symbol into his arm and which when- that part was so who cares you know yeah, that, i understand yeah. that I understand that they made a whole specific thing of he is part of the family, sure, whatever. But in order to issue the duel, he also needs a crest. And I'm guessing this thing burned into his arm is the crest, considering that he had to present it to the Harbinger. But it never comes up. It's never a thing. That's the part that felt like it could have been cut to me. Oh, yeah, it just shows him it. Yeah, like... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I could have cut that too. Yeah, right, I could have cut that. But, um... But no, like Winston goes to uh, the marquee and mm-hmm. presents him with the challenge and is like, yeah, and I'm seconded him. So I get something out of this if he wins, which is I get my hotel back and I'm in charge of my hotel, damn it. So Winston's always angling. But mm-hmm. it, it, to be fair, it also points out quite quickly that if John loses, then Winston also gets executed. He also gets yep. killed. So he is putting a lot of faith in John. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. To be fair. And I, I, do, I do think this is where it makes some smart choices with the villain. He's still over the top in his performance, but him weaseling out of actually being the one in the duel and saying, no, 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 I'm going to put Kane in. He's going to be my uh, yeah, my he's avatar. my champion. Yeah, my champion, yes. He's going to be the one who actually does the fight. Um, and it's like, okay, okay, interesting. Uh, I, I do love how later on in the movie, the second in command, like the big grunt guy comes up and be like, I don't like that you put a blind man in a pistol duel 30 <laughs> meters apart that seems like a bad move yeah uh but he's like no no no. he's got something to die for and live for he'll he'll yep. he'll, he'll uh he'll do the thing um mm-hmm. so yeah but they, they have this meeting they sit down at a table they turn over these it's basically the turnover cards and whoever has the higher number gets to pick that part of the the duel so up first yep. is like what time is the duel taking place winner picks sunrise uh which which I do really appreciate the fact that uh, the Marquis wanted to do Sunrise. John wanted to do it right then. He's like, we're doing this now. I'm not giving <laughs> you any time to do anything. Well, yeah, and of course it, he loses for our entire third act. But Yeah, it makes sense that the, the Marquis is the weasel. He's not a fighter. He wants to hide. He wants to make someone else do it. And not only that, he wants to try and stop John Wick because they make it very clear, okay, sunrise tomorrow is when this is happening and if anyone mm. if either of the competitors don't make it they forfeit and they will be executed and that's what leads us to our third act entire premise is that the yep. marquee puts out such a big hit on john wick to stop him from making it to the, the church where they're going to have this duel out in the mm. steps of this church that the entire city so he is like okay I'll, I'll travel some of this through the you know under the and the the canals the passageways under the city because you know paris yep. is famous for having the uh the the sewage rivers effectively <laughs> that match the street layout and he gets as far as he can uh down there but this entire last 45 minutes is him going through 
tons of assassins who are trying to stop him from making it on time to his duel which means that even when he gets there which you assume he does because it's a movie oh, yeah. that he's going to get to the climax Obviously. he's got he's going to be a wreck he's going to have went through so many assholes like he's He's gonna... <laughs> I mean, you, you say that he's going to make it there, and while yes, obviously, from an external perspective, it does seem like it, but if you don't keep track of the time in the movie, if you're not sure how much time is left until the end, I think that there is a fair shake that you assume that he doesn't make it, and the fifth movie is him dealing with the fallout of it. Okay, okay, I could see you going that way, but I... Yeah, I think... Um... Obviously, just before we get to talking about those last 45 minutes, there's a few yes. little things to, to mention. There, So, up until this point in the movie, there's, there's, with all the, the new visuals that it's got going for, all these other things, like, you know, I, I, I joked earlier, does it even feel like it's in the same world as that first John Wick anymore? Right. And one of the things that finally ties it back is he goes to this church and, and Kane's there. And because they've got, like, a dual plan now, Kane's not just, like, trying to kill him. He's, he's there as a friend. But they're sort of sitting mm-hmm. down and they share a bit of quiet time together. But he brings up his wife. He comes and lights a candle, and Cain asks, like, do you believe she could hear you when, when you speak to her? And he's like, mm. no. It's, well, he's like, why do you do it then? He's like, what if I'm wrong? Like, what if I'm wrong? So, it, it's been, but it reminds you, okay, this is all going back to his wife. And this is where I think it starts mm. to come together a little bit, and this is where it feels like it's building up to the big final act, and it's setting yeah. up this idea of what he wants and it further does it of course right before he goes on up to the street where mm-hmm. he talks to winston about sharon and his funeral and yep. he's like i didn't know what he put on the on the tombstone like how do you sum up an entire life so i just put a friend because that's what he was and mm-hmm. john just before he leaves he turns to winston and says loving husband and he's like what it's like that's what i want on mine loving husband and that's yep. the that's the time where it sets you up for thinking John might be dying at the end of this movie. This is the the, the telegraphing. Yeah. The moment that you talk about what's on your tombstone to somebody who can actually do something about it, yeah. You may as well be a uh, CW show and have a slight cough. I think, honestly, for me, to, to an extent, it's when they meet to discuss the rules because the villain is, like, proper slimy and then he's mm. setting up his plans. Like, oh, he's not going to make it to the jail. We're going to, like, put him through a gauntlet. And I do love that it kept cutting back to him looking at a model of the central you know center center of paris and he's looking at it and it's sort of like saying okay this is where john is and you've got the radio host who's working for the villains or whatever like talking i mean it's the table it's the it's the same uh people who handle all the which consecration in the which by the way the people who manage the accounts in paris work inside the eiffel tower that's how big up the table are they've got an office in the eiffel tower but yeah but i think it's really from when he goes to the church and you have this quiet moment between him and the guy he's going to duel with who Mm -hmm. don't want to fight each other they respect each other but they're both forced into this because of the you know where they are in life john doesn't Mm -hmm. hate him for it he understands that he's been forced and he's and also he's he's technically not being forced is the thing but they the marquee is throwing out that if he does this him and his daughter are free yeah. The same way John was out. He he doesn't have to worry about it at all. But if he doesn't, his daughter will be straight up killed. Yeah. So I, that's I mean, that's still forced. <laughs> that's pretty forced, yeah. yeah. I'd still call that forced. But yeah. I think John understands that, you know. I think at one point he asked about his daughter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the same same with uh Kane and the Japanese guy at the start. They kinda talked about their daughters to each other. It's like there's like a, yeah. a, a shared understanding. There's a 
So, like, John doesn't hate him for what he's doing. He understands why he's going to fight and why he's going mm-hmm. to do it to the best of his ability. And I think that sort of, like, bond between those two really was the strongest thing in the movie up until that point. And then from mm-hmm. here to the end, it's just, okay, all the action scenes are fantastic. They do things that you've maybe never seen before. They're a gauntlet. It's this, like, turmoil of John trying to get to the duel. And I think it kind of keeps topping itself, bizarrely, as well, which is very impressive. Oh, yeah. So... Mm-hmm. To go through these, right? I think we just go through them one by one. I don't think you skip ahead. I think you... Okay, all right. Step step one, why I will never walk anywhere near a car in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the Arc de Triomphe, or Triomphe, whatever you... Whatever, what is it? What is the it big French arch. Way? Yeah, the big, the big arc. Uh, so very famous, obviously, landmark, right? It's a famous location, mm-hmm. busy traffic going around it. It's effectively a big roundabout, at least from the looks of it. I, I don't know. Yep. I've never driven there. But <laughs> um, we get this fight scene that spills in and around that area. It does have some parts where John is in a car. You know, he t- t- grabs a car and does some fancy stuff where he's dragging people. Uh, there's a great bit where, like, this is probably right at the start before it really gets to the arc itself. But he's like, he gets hit by a car and he's still in the hood of the car, but then the car crashes into something else, so he sort of hits the side of the bus. Oh yeah. It's fantastic. Can I just say the the this is the beginning of the entire third act. The gauntlet. Yeah. The gauntlet. And it starts off with a French rendition of Paint It Black. It does, yeah. <laughs> and it's just so perfect. It just gets you pumped up into the right mood for this entire scene. Yeah, I thought that was the best music choice in the whole film, was that right there. Yeah, and John's, like, fighting these guys, and they're, you know, it's in and around busy traffic. Some of them are, like, landing in the cars. Uh, mm. You know, like, it's, I'd have to watch it again to actually pick it, like, detail down every single great little oh, moment yeah. that happens in it. But it is, like, an unrelenting, like, solid ten minutes of fighting in busy traffic. And the director, I think, said this past week that it is the hardest scene they shot in the entire franchise. Oh, I'm sure. There was um, one shot in here that really stood out to me, which was the... um, There was a bunch of people all standing in, like, Mm. a centralized crowd, and then John kept drifting his car around them and just firing shot after shot, and the camera was always perpendicular to John, just following that around. Beautiful angle. Yeah, that... Like, the, the camera work and the way it captured it, and the fact that it's not just... I'm sure there's some CG in there to help with some things, oh, but yeah. they had stunt drivers. They had cars driving around them, and it, you can feel the realness of that as you're watching it. It feels dangerous. It feels like they're, they're just dodging things. Uh, it, it's just... It's really exciting. And I was like, okay, this was the first action set piece in the movie where I'm like, all right, you're doing something truly impressive here, and this already might be the best action set piece that you've done in this franchise. And mm-hmm. I think it's topped after this. I think it gets better after this. Yeah. So the only other thing I want to add in that is, like I said, I, I think there must have been at least two dozen people just onto the hood of cars. Mm-hmm. And nobody stops. Nobody slows down. <laughs> what in the hell is going on in Paris? Viva la France! <laughs> I'd be terrified to live anywhere near there if that is a common occurrence. Uh, they they just don't give two baguettes. I guess. That's, that's all wee it is. Wee wee. Uh, yeah. What is that? I other thing. The movie feels so much bigger, partly just because it's so so globe trotty. Like you know, we do a big section in Tokyo, a big section in Paris. You know. 
Which and uh, Berlin was. Oh, Berlin has the yep. yeah with Keller as yeah. Which is weird because the third movie had technically that same thing of him going to all these different locations, but it still didn't quite feel as big. No. In the long run. No, I think part of it was just the visuals. Uh, like when they're in Tokyo, everything's very colorful constantly. Mm-hmm. Even the the train just before they leave, where he's talking to to Mia. But that train station is like the nicest train station I've ever seen in my life. It looks so oh, pretty. Yeah. No, I'm sure that that's something that Japan is very proud of. Oh, yeah. Um, and then obviously when you're in uh, Paris, you've got all the you know, this gorgeous ar- architecture, especially when you get to the sunrise stuff at the end and you're just looking over at the city. You the know. city of lights. Yeah. Uh, so, no, it's, it's good stuff. Uh, but, mm-hmm. so, from here, we end up fighting in a, like a building. You know, the, the fight spills to a building Mm -hmm. and there's two key things to talk about in this scene one of course is how it's shot right once it gets going not all of it but there's an extended portion of it the main set piece of it which is all shot from the top down and they've they've, they've done it in like a set where obviously there's no ceiling so they're going they're passing from room to room as john is just shooting tons of people and it's you know people are calling the hotline miami scene because that's kind of that what that game is it's just you fighting room to room all top down exactly that scene but on top of that, and this is the thing that I liked even before that shot started, is and this is and again so video gamey. But you know how <laughs> when you play a video game, and some games will be like, okay, here's your special ammo that's like fire based. Yep. He gets a shotgun that fires like incendiary rounds, and mm-hmm. he is bl- so every time he fires the shotgun rounds, you can just see this burst of like fire, like around the the the, yeah. the the pellets basically and they they specifically make sure he picks that up just before the one shot of the overhead view yeah so that you're able to keep track of like here's how john is angled because we yeah. know this is an unconventional style yeah that's the, that's the smart thing about it is that every time he fires there's this bright flash and the, the whoever gets hit gets like a sort of circle of fire on them right mm-hmm. and if you're watching closely you can actually sort of tell like because normally you don't necessarily see like the spread of the the you know the the pellets the or whatever you want to call them yeah. when a shotgun mm-hmm. blast goes off. But because these are all lighting up, you can actually kind of see the circle of little balls that are yeah. flying at the people. But the genius thing about this is that not only is it just a cool weapon in the sense that it's visually kind of satisfying to see them just like like do this because it's like uh you know fire's cool. Let's be honest, fire's just a cool thing. Oh yeah, right. Um, when it's used properly, but the genius of this is that it's visually making it easy to watch. Like you say, this top-down shot, where you always know who John is because he's the one firing the flaming shotgun. <laughs> yep. Because it is it isn't a thing where John is always center frame. The camera no. moves, uh. it glides in a constant motion, a constant velocity across the scene. It changes angles and whatnot. But John, he sometimes is off to the side. Sometimes he's completely off camera, and then he makes his way back on. But it is a distinct visual thing of you know john is the only one who is literally firing fire and you're able to immediately lock onto his position wherever it happens my only critique with this entire sequence is that it's interrupted in the middle they take a little like two shot thing to say here's what the tracker's doing and then they go back to it yeah, and it goes back to it. I, I would even say it's the middle. I'd say it's like three quarters in. It's like, it was, yeah. I'd say most of it's first, but then it goes back to it for just a little bit extra. And then mm-hmm. it, it was like, yeah, that was a little bit weird. But it is, it's a very exciting sequence, though. It's very visceral. Oh, yeah. It's it's very impressive from a filmmaking perspective. So you kind of... And I think action scenes, in a lot of ways, 
the best ones usually are impressive from a filmmaking perspective. That's usually what ma- partly what makes them cool is how it's shot. And this top down is definitely something that I've not seen done certainly to this extent. Maybe there's like a top down action scene that you can find in a movie somewhere, but not one that moves from room to room as much as this one does. Yeah, uh, no. in this the way. Only thing the only thing that it reminded me of mildly was there was that sequence in El Camino, um, the Breaking oh, Bad yeah, yeah, yeah. sequel, where Jesse's tearing apart the house and it's just the entire house you can see from that top view but it's not following him around it's just a static image which of course for an action movie it makes sense that it would have more motion oh yeah to it than anything i've definitely seen movies that have had scenes where they transition from one room to the other this way where they'll go Mm -hmm. over the top and it'll be you know they'll be like uh, the the edge of where the wall is but the camera will just go over it yeah um but this is obviously taking that up to 11 and just go isn't that it. really just the tagline of the whole movie we're just I taking suppose, it up to yeah. 11 which you know I, I, if there is a fifth movie they have to go to another ammo type they have to do acid rounds yeah i will say i think i uh made the comment last review that i thought for certain because of them trying out new environments and whatnot that there was going to be a scene that was like completely pitch black and the only thing you would see is like the shots ah, yeah. being fired and whatnot didn't get that but we did get a blind guy so i'm gonna take the half win <laughs> um and you do kind of follow this with the fire into that shotgun so that is kind mm-hmm. of like following the the light in, yeah. a, in a way uh, three quarters win excellent and then the third part of this gauntlet which may be my favorite part because it's so simple oh, and beautiful and what it is but he literally has to go up this giant like set of stairs right this yep. multi-tiered stairway that goes up it's an outside set of stairs going up and it's near the church you know it's just you know it's once he gets up to the top he just has to walk down a little bit and there he is but he has to fight guys on the way up and sure they enough specific, they specifically say it's 222 steps oh there you go that he has to take and he, he's fighting his way up these steps he's fighting bad guys and he's doing what he can and it's all very exciting watching him go up and then he gets like near the top not not quite at the top but near the top and the henchman yep. with the goatee, the sort of the main sort of fighter that we've been dealing with for the bad guys the whole movie, mm-hmm. just kicks him down the stairs, and he just rolls all the way down to the mm-hmm. bottom. And they make a point of emphasizing that he's only got a couple of minutes now until the deadline yeah. to get there, and you think, shit, that's it, he's lost, because he's all the way back down at the bottom of the steps, there's no way he's getting back up. And mm-hmm. that's when Kane comes in and says, I'm going, you know, I didn't say it, I didn't verbally say it, obviously, but he's like, I'm going to help you. Uh, let's yeah. do this. You can, you can get I mean, to this he, jewel. He holds out his hand and says the words, I need you to get to the top of those steps. He doesn't want a and cheap then, win. He, 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 no. he respects John too much for that. He's not taking a cheap, like, count out victory. Are you kidding me? Of course. Uh, so we get this, this, this pairing, we get this, this team up of two equally skilled John Wick-esque characters going mm. up the staircase, fighting these guys, um, you know and every time they they show them working in concert with each other yeah. where john like lets him know hey there are guys over there or whatnot and then kane is covering for john as well yeah that was fantastic say, that was fun him like calling out where they are like clockwise like you know it's like hey 12 yep. o'clock you know, six o'clock whatever that yep. was great like them working mm-hmm. together in tandem with that was fantastic so the other thing that happens in this scene uh they get all the way back up to the top more or less and then bearded guy still there 
causing problems. John falls down a few flights of stairs, well, and it actually, seems before you talk about this, we have to go back and talk about something that right, happens. I was going to bring it up and the and the the abandoned building. Uh, so there's a yeah. moment where a uh, bearded guy, the henchman, is going to shoot Tracker's dog, uh, nobody's dog. Track Tracker and John got into an extended fight scene because Tracker finally got the amount of money from Marquis that he won. He got $40 million is now the bounty. This is where it was yeah. finally marked up at high. And so now that he's able to get that amount, he's finally going to yeah, kill that, This is after the big top-down sequence, but it's in the same building. Mm-hmm. And Bearded Henchman is going to shoot the dog. And John has a moment where he's actually won the fight. He's got a gun on nobody, and he can mm-hmm. take the shot. He can win. But he sees that Bearded Henchman is going to hurt the nobody's dog. dog. And yep. John makes the choice, and this is what's beautiful about this is that it's so well set up. This entire oh, yeah. franchise started with him getting revenge for his puppy that got killed. So him mm-hmm. making this choice to save the dog rather than like kill the guy that's trying to kill him. Obviously, this is the thing that's going to convince nobody to ultimately side with John and not want to kill him, which mm-hmm. he does. You know, he ends up helping them out with bearded guy at the top of the stairs, and it's his dog ends up biting his nuts, you know, in revenge because yeah. he was going to kill the dog. So it's just just desserts, all that. I do like how, as far as I can tell, this dog only knows two commands. The first is kill, where the dog goes for the chest. And then the second is nuts, where he goes for the nuts. <laughs> hey, dogs aren't that smart. You can only train them to do a few things. It's, yeah. It's, it's straightforward enough. Um, <laughs> but the idea that this was enough to get uh, his respect, yep. I suppose. So, so then fast forward to this scene on the stairs. Yeah. And you know bearded guys knocked him down a few flights again he's got john on the ropes and then the dog comes out and starts attacking him and tracker joins in on the fight and together they take out the bearded guy along with i think kane was there as well because he managed to do the thing where he takes a pencil which we saw him pocket from Mm. the cafe earlier and shoves it into the guy's hand oh well actually uh, that reminds me uh, the first blow against Killer earlier on was John just like throwing a playing card at his neck yes. and slitting part of his throat. That was great. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was great. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, but so he's but so he's made it. He's gotten to the top of the the stairs. Do you want to put in? Uh, you said that there was a laugh, which we'll get to in a second. My theater laughed as the uh, bearded guy was put down finally because the dog pissed on the guy's face just for that extra little insult to injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was okay. Uh, the, yeah. the the laugh that got me, though, is... So they actually get up to these steps. They're at the church. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, the jewel can begin. The sunrise. So it's gorgeous. You know, there's the cities behind them. They're up top, you know, looking over I, the city. I mean, it is literally golden hour. It's yeah. just the other one. So they're, they're getting ready to take off their jackets. So no bulletproof, you know, jackets on for this, obviously. Mm-hmm. Old school pistols, 30 paces, all the rest of it. And they're second, so Winston goes up and gives gives the first bullet to, to John. And then mm-hmm. likewise, Marquis, Marquis goes up to yeah. up to Kane and he's like, Remember your daughter, Mark. So he's trying to like just like threaten him one last time to motivate him. And without skipping a beat, Kane just goes, F off. Like I think that's easily the best laugh in the whole movie. Oh yeah, he just like barks it at him. He's like, Get out of here. Yeah. I don't want to like, deal he, with it. He yells you. just F off at him. And yeah. Marky is legitimately stunned and like doesn't know what to do. He's like, oh, yeah. okay, I guess I'll just go. Um, yeah. What's he going to do, pick a fight right now when this guy's like fighting for him in this duel? He just, he just turns to the harbinger. He said a mean thing. 
So we get this duel and we get, you know, the first shots and they both shoot each other basically in the shoulders and, mm-hmm. you know, and a second time. And each time they come closer, you know, that, that's the rules. If you're both alive after the first shot, then you walk forward mm-hmm. 10 paces. And we keep doing that until one of you is dead. And I don't think that any actor besides Clancy Brown could sell the tension. Of oh, yeah. Yeah. Having these people walk closer together. <clears throat> So here's so this is the thing, right? Obviously, I actually called what John's little trick was. Same. Yeah, I kind of, I just kind of got it in the moment, like like what he was, what he was doing. But mm-hmm. effectively, what happens is after the third shot, I think it is, uh, mm-hmm. John actually you know gets hit in the side, like his stomach, so sort of the side of his stomach. He goes down. It seems pretty mortal woundy, yeah. sort of. He goes area. down, and right at this moment, Marquis chimes in. Oh no. You know what? I'm going to sub in here. I'm, I'm going to take the coup de gras. I'm going to take the kill shot when John's mm-hmm. down. Like, it's like, oh my god, you're such a weasel. You're such a, a slimy piece of shit. Yep. You're going to take the kill shot when he's already wounded for the satisfaction of doing it. Like, just like any other yep. 1% or rich prick. <laughs> and he grabs he the gun. Kane makes sure that he is now free of service. Yeah, he's, he's like, okay, I did my part. So, so my daughter's free. I'm free. We're safe. And yep. Marquis like, yeah, yeah, you did your thing. Yeah, give me the gun. I want to go kill John Wick. And he goes <laughs> to kill John Wick. And Winston just, like, he's pointing the gun at him. And Winston just says, you arrogant prick. And I, I called this. He's like, mm-hmm. John never fired in that last, that round. And John just shoots the prick in the head. And it is beautiful, immensely satisfying. Um, My favorite thing, though, is that they, they made sure to do it rule of threes, where... At the very beginning of the movie, talking to Winston and Sharon, the Marquis t- goes on this long thing about how there are consequences to his actions. And then during the scene where Winston is talking to um, the Marquis to get the duel going, they once again bring up the idea of consequences to their actions. So at this very last shot here, John pulls the trigger and the last thing he says to the Marquis is consequences and just shoots him in the head. Yeah, it it's satisfying. It, is it more satisfying than the killing the bad guy at the end of two? I'm not sure. They're they're both. I uh, so they're both smart they're pricks. both great. But here's yeah. the thing: they get the exact opposite emotions off. Where in two, immediately Winston follows up with, "What have you done?" It is setting up the events mm. for basically the next two movies. It is the sense of relief that he did it but dread at the same time whereas in this one it's relief that he did it and the satisfaction that it's done oh it's fair it's yeah over. He, it, he it was a it. fair kill and then it's like okay like john wick's free because kane held up his end of the bargain him, him and his daughter are free all the good characters we like have got and this is the thing nobody just sits on a bench and watches this which is why i'm saying he could like, oh yeah he could just be gone. Like, there's, no, there's no reason for the character to be in this movie. Yeah. Uh, like, because it's not even like... We already have this mutual respect between John and Kane, so having this other character that kind of earns... Or John earns respect with just kind of feels a little mm. redundant to me. Yeah, it does. Again, I think that it probably would have been a lot bigger of a thing had it been split into four or five, and he just had a movie to mm. himself. But in this context, yeah, there's once we had the scene of the him managing to say nah john's an all right guy and then save john's life he could have left and it would have been the exact same story yeah yeah so you know 
we have John saying, take me home, Winston. He's like, yeah, of course I will. And he sits down. And, you know, he thinks of his wife. We see the wife again. And I kind of like mm-hmm. that it brought it back round to him thinking about her. And that's what kind of, you know, made the ending work to me. It was like, okay, this was about... Because uh, there was a point in the movie where I was thinking, okay, we've switched to him just getting his freedom again. But I'm like, why does he care about that so much? What, what's the big deal about the freedom? And it was kind of the ending here where he's thinking about his wife where I'm like, ah, oh, I was thinking about the last movie and like, dying a free man and i'm like okay okay i i kind of get it he wanted to go out free as the husband and that again ties into the tombstone and what he wants written on it yeah so like okay i get all that that's great and we get a scene with the bowery king and winston at his grave uh yeah because he just collapses on the stairs yeah he has this big cinematic gone. you know death moment however yeah. couple couple things that are worth mentioning here all right let's hear them so one thing's in-universe, one thing's a meta thing. The meta thing, I'll get out of the way, they redid this ending. Um, oh. And apparently, in the original ending, it kind of revealed that he was alive. Uh, the original ending, like, I think he was even watching them at the, the cemetery or something like that. Like, uh, Didn't I see that in a Marvel movie? I, Wasn't the, that it? I think, um, like, so I, I saw some people talk about how, because like, the, the, his dog's there, his dog that he got at the end of the first movie that's been kind of around peter there was he yeah because <laughs> he, he... you can look back in this review like an hour ago i you could see a light bulb go off in my head of like where the hell was that dog <laughs> he's at the ending uh okay but he like turns and looks at something and I, I think maybe in the original edit of the ending maybe that was him seeing john wick standing somewhere mm-hmm. um so the fact that the ending was a little different and they changed it based on test audiences is it is interesting um yeah. especially if they're planning and having more but here's the end universe thing that i think is a bit juicier all right this was pointed out. I, I didn't think of this but it was pointed out to me uh you could have claimed it i wouldn't have known so start of the last movie right so the second movie ended with him like oh shit excommunicado in an hour everyone's after you and you're not allowed to get help just before that hour's up he goes to a doctor and the doctors try to patch him up in like the, the five minutes he's got left or whatever after that, he's like, look, John, they're not going to believe me. You're going to have to make it look like you forced me. You're going to have to shoot me. The doctor tells him to shoot him in two places that will not kill him. Those two places are exactly the same places John Wick gets shot at in this duel at the end of the movie. That is pretty good. That Honestly, that makes me okay with it not being death, just because that's actually genius. So, okay, it, <laughs> running with that, though... Uh-huh. It's, you know, he's not dead. We'll say that pretty pretty clear. Why would he fake his death at this point? What is the benefit to that? <sighs> that, that? That is a good question. That is something that would only be explained. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think this still works as an ending if, like, they never... Oh, yeah. If they, if they never make another one and it's just like, oh, that's him, he's really dead. I think it works. It's fine. Um, mm-hmm. If they want to make a fifth one, there's still a table to kill. Like, there's still yeah. something technically for him to go to. So... I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, obviously, like, it probably sounded like I was a lot more negative than it feels like I am because yeah. I was critiquing a lot of the first two thirds of the movie. Because I do think there's some messy elements. I do think it's a bit overstuffed. I do think you could cut out the entire character of nobody. Um, I think even the side quest with Killer, like, could have been changed drastically and it felt mm-hmm. a little bit like a, a diversion to an extent. But yeah. once once it gets to that last forty five minutes though, 
if you just like condense the first two thirds down into a more like compact more streamlined movie like that might be my favorite one as it is because the pacing's a lot more all over the place mm-hmm. i have to say two still the better overall movie but the last 45 minutes give or take of this one is probably the best action sequences of the entire franchise which is impressive given what's already came before oh yeah no i mean there is like you said there's no reason that this movie needed to be two hours and 45 minutes no not there's at all. It, I would say you probably could have gotten away with trimming this down to, I'd say 215 would probably be the length that I would look for. And that would basically be just cutting down Osaka a little bit and trimming the fat on Killa. That's that's all that would really need to be taken out to make that happen. But yeah, no, those those last 45 minutes, because that's, that's just smart filmmaking. The thing that you're going to walk out of the theater with, mm-hmm. the thing that's the most recent thing, needs to be the biggest thing. It needs to be the thing that's going to stick with you. That's the, and, and that's the thing. Like The last 45 minutes of most movies would be uh, probably about half or almost half the movie. You know, If it's a two-hour movie, yeah. if you come out going, the last 45 minutes are absolutely insane, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's like almost half the damn thing. Here it's a little bit weirder because it's like almost two hours before you get to that yeah. last 45 minutes. You watch a movie and then you get the season finale yes oh hey look at that so i I think there are some pacing issues that you can point Mm -hmm. to with that and there are some things that i i didn't like not nothing that i dislike well i think kill is the worst character in the whole franchise but i don't think i dislike that part because there's still stuff i liked in those sequences there's still like the Mm -hmm. lighting the way uh you know kane was portrayed moments like that that i still liked so I still hated the desert stuff in three the most. <laughs> but, yeah, no, that's that's still awful. I, I guess if I'm thinking about it now, if you just cut out the scenes, and by cut out I mean separate, the scenes introducing Kane and intersplice them properly, you could just skip over everything right up until, like everything that was in Osaka could just be taken out entirely. Yeah, you could go from introducing Kane, and then the next time you see him is him sitting in the church with John Wick. Yeah, or even, I mean, obviously the killer scene would technically be in the middle of that, but restructure that so it's not as Oh, dumb. yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you, I honest, you could I definitely... I think I'd be, okay, I'd be okay with the killer scene more if it were skipping the poker scene. Mm. If, like, he dealt out the cards, and then we just skipped the whole poker scene and went straight into the fight scene. I think I'd be more okay with it. Yeah. I, I think ultimately what we're saying here is that the the, the movie could be streamlined. It definitely could oh, have yeah. been uh, whittled down. And it's not necessarily a problem with having a long movie if it feels like the material's there for it. I just, I yeah. don't necessarily think it was in this case. It, it felt a little bit, um, like you say, you know, it felt like the hodgepodge of like two different movies coming together. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is a post credit scene. Yes, uh, which I, I mean, I'll just straight up say, I kind of regret staying for I had stuff to do, and <laughs> it fair. didn't feel like it was that critical. Yeah, also, like, so it's basically Kane's about to go and see his daughter and maybe actually introduce himself and give her flowers and stuff. And mm. as he's walking up, we see Mia's there waiting to, like, assassinate him. And it cuts to black before, you know, the strike happens, so you don't really know for sure what yeah. what goes down. Um, it's it's interesting because it does feel like that as a tease for some something in the future. Uh, it does tie yeah. into the idea of consequences, of course, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, maybe the taking down the table is going to be more of an ensemble. Maybe it's going to be Kane plus Mia, because maybe, maybe like, he'll convince her that, you know, he was forced and this is why he was forced. 
Or, I mean, even then, I think I that would have been apparent during that. I All this seemed like to me was, you know, the exact same scene plays out, smash cut to black, and then I was expecting to see Mio will return. Yeah. Yeah. I, so if they do come back to these characters at some point, and they've very well might, whether that's mm-hmm. in a John Wick 5, whether that's in a Kane or Mia but, I mean, it might very well be in Ballerina, for all we know. It could, yeah, it could be. All these characters that were set up here could end up being in Ballerina, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we'll see. And I know they're shooting that right now. That's coming out next year, Ballerina. Okay. Uh, cool. They're shooting that, I think, in Czechoslovakia right now. So, uh, we'll see. But, keeping, keeping that globetrotting thing going. Maybe that's just where it's set, though. I mean, possibly. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to be jump, jumping around from place to place. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. Honestly, I was really satisfied as far as an action movie goes. Like the last forty-five minutes, absolutely makes the entire thing utterly worth it. But oh, yeah. there are, there are critiques. There are things to, to 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 sort of pull apart and and talk about. But the action that lasts like forty-five minutes is so goddamn good that it, it <laughs> does shoot to second place in the franchise. That's. Yeah, I mean, I'm on the same boat with you. I do. I would love to go back and actually rewatch the first John Wick now, because hmm. you know, for on, from our time scales, it has been about like a month or two since we watched it. I want to see how like grounded it feels, you know, in comparison. Because obviously, this series, while it has been in the same world, it has spiraled out on many different things. Oh, it's, it's gotten it's, bigger. Yeah, it's gotten more outlandish yeah. for sure. I'm do I I wonder if I went back to it now would I even recognize it as the same series because I mean you go back to that first movie it's about a dog in a car and then you get to this point there's no dog there's no car <laughs> it's completely separate yeah it, yeah that's what I was talking about earlier but how it, sometimes it feels like is this even the same world as that mm-hmm. we were in that first one because it's just it's it's gotten so much bigger that it, it just doesn't feel like it is the same world anymore but that's something a lot of franchises kind of face as, oh, yeah. as they get bigger as things go I mean, on we have and will run into that multiple times on this show so yeah yeah but yeah you know, absolutely worth seeing it's very good and mm-hmm. if you like action movies it's an easy recommendation just with yep. a few caveats i would say yeah so for sure yeah i mean if i if i was saying i i know this is not technically something if you're going to go see it in theaters I'd say your best place to take like a bathroom break if you need one is at, during the fat man scene. I think that that's yeah. <laughs> like if you really want to see the action, then stay until just after that. But you can you can take a break there. You don't need to. Honestly, yeah. When John's going to talk to like his you know quote unquote family that he's trying mm. to get back into. All the scenes with them, like I could have cut all those. Uh, yeah, like, those were just kind of fluffy. Because yeah, it was a side quest. You were yeah. hit it dead on the head with that. So yeah, yeah. You take out that rule that he has to be in a family, and all of a sudden you can just go straight to building to the thing, and you can cut out like thirty minutes of the movie. And yeah. well, some of the fight in the water was all right. None of it compared to what came later. Like no, I, I would not, not, I would not have felt. If anything, I would have been happier with a because it was brisker and more tighter, but. Hmm. I would not have felt shortchanged if those last 45 minutes of action were the only action we got in the whole movie. I think the biggest issue would be that, you know, at the point where they are at Sharon's grave, that's, what would you say, an hour into the movie? 
hour and 20 maybe i don't know it's hard to tell <laughs> yeah it's, it's, hard, it's really hard to tell to be honest but yeah it, roughly an hour hour 20 into the movie to then go from that to he just says hey i'm challenging you to a duel and then we get the whole duel setting up scene not more than 10 minutes later that feels like it would be out of place because that feels like it's i don't know i guess i guess if you cut out the fat man scene what really is the second act anymore uh the second act's just you can just turn it into i mean because there's a whole thing we never mentioned the bowery king shows up for a cameo in paris with a suit for john like you can simply just set it up as like you know even just getting to the stage where you can make the challenge is maybe a bit of a a thing but um yeah yeah what if what if i know this is complete just rearranging the parts of the movie cut Mm -hmm. the fat man scene set the Sharon's grave and like the, the idea of the duel at the beginning. But instead of him going back to his old family and becoming part of that, he goes to the Japanese guy and joins that family instead. And therefore you get the whole Osaka scene and a reason to be there. Okay. Yeah, that's not bad. Hmm? That's not bad. Um, yeah. Yeah. So a bit bloated, but goddamn yep. the action in the last chunk <laughs> is so good. Like it's yep. so good. Like, I, I can't praise it enough. Uh, so yeah, I guess it's time to rate the movie, David. Oh, what boy. are you rating John Wick Chapter Four? All right. So I mean, I've already made it clear where it stands amongst the other movies. Uh, the question is, how do I somehow sandwich it in between an eight and an eight point five? Which obviously I just have to put it Pick on one, one or the other. <laughs> yep. I think I'm going to give it the lower and give it the eight rather than the 8.5. Still fantastic, still great, puts it on the level of the first movie, but like we said, there's there are some complaints to have in terms of pacing, in terms of the third movie going into this movie felt like a non sequitur, like nothing really flowed, and they just kind of had to scramble to rearrange the pieces into a way that allowed for the plot of this movie to happen. But once you get past... Pretty much once you get to the point where John makes it back to New York, that's where it starts feeling like a solid movie throughout. Yeah. Barring yeah. barring one side quest. And I did not nearly dislike the character of Nobody as much as you. I thought he was a good addition I mean, to have I, this I, I, trio I admit, of fighters. I admit part of this is a little bit of a, a personal thing because I just already kind of don't like the actor because of a character right. he played on something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I do legitimately think that you could cut the character out the movie and it probably wouldn't really change you wouldn't even have to re- redo much other things to make it work you would just yeah you just just no. wouldn't have him <laughs> I, i'm not saying he's not crucial to the plot i don't think yeah. he is crucial to the plot we were provided but i do think that having this trio of people makes it more unique because there's always been a john-esque character since like the second movie there's always been one who is able to fight closer on john's level i like this trio of One's doing it for money, one's doing it for family, and then John's doing it just because he doesn't know anything else at this point. Yeah, and on that thing you said there about, uh, you know, the this, this start of this movie is disjointed with the last one because it feels like it just wants to quickly erase everything that the last one set up. It has no mm-hmm. interest in being the movie the last one actually set it out to be. The opposite of that, of course, is the start of three, which did just deliver on what the end of two said. Hey, yeah. this is what the next one is. 
and mm-hmm. three for at least like a large portion of it was fulfilling that promise but for whatever reason um and some of it may have been like because they heard criticisms maybe they realized they'd made some missteps and you know, we criticized some of the things that three did at the end mm-hmm. maybe that's that's why maybe it's just that simple but yeah yeah but anyway so you went with an eight you said i went with an eight yep um so you got more of a breath you gave the first movie a seven but the second movie an eight so you got a whole point and a half there to work with yeah i mean the easy option is to just go with 7.5 and call it down the middle like i'm just trying to decide if the action in that last chunk is so good that it just elevates it enough to be an eight as well Mm. i mean with how you've been singing it's pretty just just hear the opening drums from painted black playing in your head as he walks yeah, down the but street. I've, I've also had a lot of things to critique as well it's not you, you know have. Like you there's, have there's been a lot of critiquing of, of the movie as a whole but does all that just get thrown out the window because the last 45 minutes is so good their choices have consequences pete <laughs> i'm gonna go with eight as well i, I, I okay. think 7.5 just feels too low given how special some of it feels even though it is far more uneven than two mm. so okay yeah and i think, I think my stance. i think on our secondary scale makes the cut it clearly. makes the cut yeah it makes, makes the cut. cut yeah so there you go nice and straightforward that yep. wraps up john wick season now Woo! if you're curious what happens when a new one comes out or when ballerina comes out we will eventually when there's new entries of movies for franchises that we've already done we will do one-off episodes of just doing the new movie since we've already done the rest of them uh so you know don't worry ballerina and things like that will will get reviewed we don't have to wait for four of them to come out to revisit it again no not not at all uh that's part of the fun so uh yeah uh so coming up next uh i mentioned at the start but we're going to a video game adaptation season. Uh, this is, of course, because the Super Mario Brothers animated movie is coming out, so you can expect that. But we'll be starting what? off with uh, Street Fighter from 1993 is what next week's episode is going to be, so look forward to that. Oh, boy. So this has been John Wick Chapter 4. You can support all the content over at patreon.com slash TV. Of course, we do bonus episodes every month. Um, two types of bonus episodes one at the three dollar tier which is an episode that kind of ties into whatever the theme is so at the start of this season we did peppermint because it was a revenge yep. action movie uh to tie in with john wick and then we also have extra reels which is like a so bad it's good movie review uh well hopefully anyway we've not been let down <laughs> so far but uh yes we did uh gone with the pope for no that's yeah. next month no that's next month yeah right. dangerous men was yeah, this dangerous month. men for this month well, go on with the Pope's next month, so if you want to hear our thoughts on hey. that, yeah, uh, that's coming up. So, yeah, go and get some bonuses. There's obviously bonuses for the other movie shows we have on there as well, from Streams After Midnight and the Atomic Cinema Experiment. Uh, but yeah, check out Patreon, keep all the content coming, and support the show. Uh, you can, of course, also like, subscribe, ding the bell for notifications. You can do all those things for free, and that helps us out too. So, thank you very much. Uh, but that is, uh, that is the show. Thank you very much for joining us. We always appreciate it. Keep watching movies! And I really hope that John Wick 5 starts with someone maybe killing Winston, maybe blowing up the Continental again, whatever it is. Someone does something bad to Winston and related characters, and then it just cuts to the grave, and John Wick's hand rises out of the grave like a... (laughs) 
like uh like a zombie like jason Voorhees coming to life he digs his way out the grave he's covered in dirt there's dirt hanging from his hair and he just says yeah i'm thinking i'm back <laughs> <laughs>